Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Latino Heat. If you haven't heard already, you need to check out adfreeshows.com. We've started making announcements for a brand new schedule starting in November, including a ton of new content. First of all, all of our podcasts are going to have video and we're going to splice in some fun stuff. And I'm sure the shows will get better as they go. But a lot of times we have a, well, fairly heated or hilarious interaction you guys have said you wanted to see my co-host facials and how they uh, get tickled or fired up, whatever the case may be. It's coming to adfreeshows.com, but a ton of new content too. For instance, one of the things we just announced this past weekend I'm so excited about is our championship belt series. We're going to go talk to the folks who made these belts, who actually originally designed the art and crafted them. They're going to explain exactly what that process was like. We'll discuss briefly who ordered it, what we thought it cost to order, how long it would have taken, et cetera, et cetera, the whole manufacturing process. But then you get some beautiful 4K shots of the actual ring use belts after the fact. Of course, in between, we're going to show you all the great memories and moments that happened. You'll see lots of press clippings and magazine covers, promo shots, just the story of those iconic championships. It's all coming to adfreeshows.com. I've also started to show part of my collection, including old boots and robes and things like that. And something we're calling the collection, some fun comedy stuff that I think you're going to dig, including mansplaining great friend of the show and independent wrestling superstar. Mance Warner is going to try to explain illogical wrestling to our wives. That's right. Many of us have a wife in our life who is, uh, well, a non fan and we're going to have <laughs> Matt's Warner try to make sense out of things like Katie Vick or the Chamber of Horrors or the Kennel in a Cell. It's going to be stupid and fun, and it's all happening at adfreeshows.com. Lots of new storytellers coming along the way as well. We're doing a Monday mailbag feature with veterans of the game, like Jerry Briscoe or Mike They were there for the good, the bad, and the ugly of the World Wrestling Federation. And, of course, Jerry was a wrestler himself and had ownership in Florida and Georgia. And now you get to pick their brain every single week at adfreeshows.com. One of my favorite shows I'm looking forward to, well, it's Dr. Tom's X-Ray. Maybe you have a favorite match, but why was it your favorite match? We're going to watch those old matches with him, and he's going to break it down, almost like Jod Gruden did his quarterback camp on ESPN for so many years. Well, this is the wrestling equivalent of that. We've even got a happy hour happening every Sunday night. You either get to chat with Medusa or Rebel live on Zoom, pick their brain, talk about wrestling, talk about life, have a little fun. Of course, we've got comedians along the way to make sure that we're entertaining you. There's so much great stuff coming your way, including brand new opportunities on how you can win lots of prizes. We're doing fun games like Mystery Opponent or Caption It or Name That Theme, Parts Unknown, The Time Limit Draw, In This Quarter, Create a Gimmick. We're going to be giving away cool prizes every single day over at adfreeshows.com, including once in a lifetime experiences. We're going to line it up where you get a chance. That's right. You get a chance to go to breakfast with Tony and JR and then attend an AEW event in person. It's going to be a once in a lifetime experience. You want to talk about experiences. 
We've got a Saturday morning cartoon thing coming your way that's going to knock your socks off. We've also got Wrestling Comedy Theater with friend of the show, Cassio Kid. Did I mention we're getting a hotline? Yeah, there's going to be a hotline coming soon. So new columns will be there too. We've even got a cooking show that we're excited to tell you about called the Getting Heat Cooking Show. Of course, you get all of the great Ask series. I think I just finished Ask Conrad Volume 16. You get to pick our brain about literally whatever you want. We haven't even announced it all yet. There is so much great stuff happening over at adfreeshows.com. I hope you'll check it out. You get all of our shows and our archives early and ad-free, but there's so much new exclusive content. It's worth another look. Go check out our reviews right now at isadfreeforme.com. We've even been told this is the best value in wrestling. Find out what everybody's talking about and come join in on the fun today at adfreeshows.com. The most hated jeweler in America is excited to introduce you to someone very special. She's beautiful, classy, and she's brilliant. She will dazzle you. People can't stop staring at her. Meet Krista. She's easy. Wait, what? Krista is Steven Singer's most loved engagement ring and takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, 100% eye flawless, near colorless, High-quality, round, brilliant-cut diamond expertly set into a classic solitaire Tiffany setting that will withstand the test of time. Krista is available. She's ready for love and ready to meet you. Steven Singer isn't in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. This magnificent, full, one-carat, round, brilliant-cut diamond is only $31.98. Real jewelry doesn't have to be expensive, plus free shipping and 12 months interest-free financing Steven's showroom is open by appointment only or go now to IHateStevenSinger.com and click on the Krista ready for love engagement ring. Steven Singer jewelers, real jewelry, real experts for your real love. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Brits. Brits. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib? No, you have a big There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. It, it, it. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared. Of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. Thank you, Bruce. Ah, Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? 
Well, probably my favorite subject that we will finally, finally get to address. Senor Eduardo Guerrero. Or as Michael Cole used to say in the heat of the moment, Eddie Guerrero. He put an A at the end instead of the O. Yeah, he did. Drove me fucking nuts for years. Still does. I think it's a, I think it's a, I think it's a South Texas thing. Mm. You know, like down around McAllen and all there down in the Valley. Those, those folks for some reason put a, put an A instead of where O should be a lot of times, at least in their pronunciation. It's like, uh, the Dave Silvo. You know what I like? I like that your ass has been in Connecticut for about a year. And you're already shit talking accents all over the nation. Shit talking Alabama, shit talking Texarkana. You're just, you know, you've become one of them, Bruce. Are you eating your sni- shit talking to anybody? Are you are you eating your Snickers with a damn knife and fork now? Is that a trick question? Oh, you really do? How do you eat them? Well, I'm not usually a Snickers eater, but if I were, I'd use my fingers. But I just well, imagine uh, <laughs> my, my wife gave me shit the other day because I, uh, what the hell did we have? Um, some kind of dish it was an Italian dish and it had Italian bread and everything. And I took the bread and cut it up. Oh God. You've been hanging out with Vince too long. And I let it, so- well, I was letting it soak in the, in the sauce. Oh, okay. Well, that's fine. Before. And then I ate it with a fork. You're sopping it up. That's what we call yeah. it in the South. Yeah. Yes. I'm a sopper. Yeah. But the fact that I was doing it with, I actually would cut it up and then eat it with a fork, I guess kind of threw her off. Yeah. She thought you were, uh, you're too far gone. No, it just, I enjoyed the bread and I enjoyed the sauce. And so two great tastes taste great together. Listen, I am excited to be here doing this episode. We have wanted to cover Eddie Guerrero for a long time. We, uh, decided years ago that we were going to do it on the unfortunate 15 year anniversary of his death, which was yesterday. Uh, we're a day late here on something to wrestle, but, uh, things are stressful these days. So we apologize for the delay, but we are very excited to be here talking about one of the greatest wrestlers that ever lived and I'm some stressed. I didn't say you were, I said, these are stressful times. It could have been me, you know, I mean, everybody knows sometimes that my shows are a little late. Sometimes I got a lot going on. What the fuck's problem? I'm doing my best. Well, you know what? There's three kinds of people in this world. Oh God. I feel like I'm a talent right now. There's those that give it their best shot and there are those do whatever it takes. I'm doing whatever it takes today to bring you Eddie Guerrero. Of course, we all know him as one of the greatest wrestlers that ever lived, but Bruce, you know him as a great friend as well. So this is going to be a very good show. Eduardo Gory Guerrero. Uh, you're going to have to help me with this. Lanes? Yanes. Yanes. Born October 9th, 1967 in Juarez, Mexico. Of course, Salvador Gory Guerrero was his father, a first generation wrestler. And, uh, Harlinda Yanez, the sister of a wrestler herself. 
And I guess it's like a Spanish custom to include both names. I'm learning things every day here on something to wrestle. See, Eddie's one of six children that the couple's going to have along with Chavo, Mondo, Hector, Maria, and Linda, but there's a large age gap across all the siblings. Chavo, for example, was born in 1949. Uh, so Eddie's on the younger end. You've, you've known the family for a long time and you've sort of referred to yourself as an honorary Guerrero, uh, chat us up. When did you first become familiar with the family? I assume it's probably seeing some of the older family members come through the Houston market. Fuck no, man. El Paso, Texas, 1967, 1968 as a kid. I remember seeing Gory Guerrero and Gory was the promoter of El Paso for the Amarillo territory that the Funks owned. So you'd come through and you work El Paso and there was a ring announcer there, Saul Paredes. And Saul and Gory used to sit at the front door of the El Paso Coliseum to welcome everybody coming into the arena. And I remember just being like larger than life there was Gory Guerrero, when you say larger than life, to a four- or five-year-old kid. Gory was definitely larger than life, but in real life, Gory wasn't the biggest guy in the world. The events were presented on Monday nights uh, with the likes of J.C. Dykes and the Infernos, Handsome Harley Race, and, of course, the greatest of all time, Dory and Terry Funk, along with the patriarch of the Funk family, Dory Funk Jr. So I was exposed to Gory Guerrero quite early. You said the patriarch Dory Funk Jr., but you mean senior. Senior. Yeah, I did. Yes. The dad, their goddamn dad. Of course you don't have to cuss me. You don't have to get three quarters. I'm tired, Connie. I'm tired. I'm tired. And now you're yelling at me. Well, listen, you've denied the rumors online that you are sleepy, tired, and stressed. So you better watch your words here or you're going to get them buzzing again. So am I just sleepy? I don't know what you are. I don't want to make assumptions. Well, you are. It sounds like your assumption in your, in your, in your vocal tone, if you will. Eddie has always wanted to be a pro wrestler his whole life. Instead of a jungle gym, he had a wrestling ring in his backyard. He didn't get to watch his father wrestling in his prime, but he watched him toward the end and Eddie still felt that excitement. His family didn't pressure him to enter the business, but he felt the pressure of the Guerrero name. And because of that, he always strived for excellence. And it's interesting to find where someone's inner drive comes from. Do you think that this family pressure and this reputation is something that really pushed him to excel at the level he did? I mean, he's going to overcome a lot of obstacles in his career. And we're going to cover a lot of them today, but is this just instilled in him as a young person? I think it was instilled. I think it was genetic more than anything. I think that you look at Eddie Guerrero and Eddie Guerrero knew what he wanted to do from the time that, uh, he jumped out of his mama's body and said, I want to wrestle his brother's all wrestlers, his father, one of the greatest of all times. And Eddie looked at this as his life calling. And I don't believe that Eddie ever had any consideration to do anything else with his life. So yeah, it was, it just was 
genetic in this case and that Eddie was wired to be a wrestler. Man, Christmas is going to be here before you know it. And unfortunately that's going to be extra stress this year with lots of added expenses. Of course you got to do your holiday shopping, but there's probably going to be some travel involved. Uh, it's just been a tough year, but I want to make this the best Christmas ever. And listen, you may have tried to do this in the past, but what you wound up with was a big credit card bill and a new year's resolution to get out of debt and actually start saving money. Why do we wait until next year to do that? Here's a pro tip for you. Don't put Christmas on a credit card. Go to savewithconrad.com right now. We're going to show you how to skip your single biggest bill for the next two months. If you haven't already, you don't have to make your November or your December payment. You're done until next year. And next year, of course, you're going to start the new year with no, you hear me? No credit card debt. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners get rid of all their credit card debt, but take advantage of these great rates while we've still got them. You can pay your house off faster and do it with cheaper monthly payments, but maybe best of all, get the cash you need just in time for the holidays. Don't start 2021 off on the wrong foot where you feel like you're digging yourself out of a hole. Historically, most American families dig themselves into credit card debt that it takes months to dig out of all from Christmas shopping. Don't do that. There's a better way. Skip your next two house payments, get a better interest rate, lower your monthly payments and get rid of your credit card debt. Just like that at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this? Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. Let's talk about what could have been. Eddie actually gets a wrestling scholarship at New Mexico Highlands University, but he got hurt, so they redshirt him. By the time he recovers, the program is actually shut down. So he doesn't get to finish and go straight into training professional wrestling. What do you think could have been had Eddie actually had the opportunity to pursue amateur wrestling? I think that Eddie probably would have been at the top of the amateur wrestling game, maybe even going to the Olympics, but thank God that didn't happen. And Eddie was able to start to focus on his calling for the rest of his life, which was professional wrestling. And Eddie was going to be the best at it because his last name was Guerrero. At the time, Eddie's best friend was a fellow named Art Flores, who was his bodyguard spider in the, uh, LWO that I'm sure some of you remember from WCW, uh, Flores and another friend named Hector, uh, hurricane Hector Rincon trained with Eddie as he initially learned professional. Rincon. Am I going to have to cr- uh, correct your, I'm just, do we need Dave Silva on this show just to translate our hillbilly asses and fucking, uh, correct Mexican pronunciations. This was just after his father had experienced a stroke and thus could only guide his son and not physically participate as much. Uh, Eddie has practiced wrestling with his brothers, his entire life going into this training. So he pretty much understands the basics and he takes a lot of the influence from his family style. But Chavo senior was his biggest influence. Is this why you hear so much about second generation wrestlers? Because they just grow up sort of immersed in a business in a way that someone who was an outsider couldn't really understand. Yes. I, I think that if you're born into this business, you're born into a very unique culture that especially during the time that Eddie was growing up in the seventies, secretive 
and protected to the point that even within your own home, there was a lot that was unknown. So for Eddie, you know, he's, he's, he sees this mysterious world that his brothers are in, his father is in, his mom is in, and wants, he too wants to be in, but even at that young age, still wasn't smartened up to the point of understanding the ins and outs of the business. So Guerrero begins his wrestling career as uh Mascara Magica and EMLL Impresa Mexicana de Lucha Libre, Negro Casas, El Dende, and Atlantis were the wrestlers he described as his biggest influences early on. He leaves the company in 92. He's not happy with his push. He's going to go for a bigger paycheck with AAA, which at the time is more like an outlaw promotion. And, uh, even though his gimmick was popular, uh, EMLL owned the rights to the character. So Guerrero then appears on a televised AAA show as that same gimmick only to unmask himself along with the aid of his tag team partner that night, Octagon, um, AAA. It feels like has been around forever and ever, but we know that's not exactly the case. They were sort of the, the young upstart, if you will. Uh, what do you remember about the differences between those two promotions? Cause you're probably more familiar than maybe some of the other areas of the country because you're right there in Texas. Well, uh, triple was something that was similar to WWE in that EMLL was more traditional and then, uh, triple came in and they were flamboyant. They had the great ring entrances and they focused more on character and stories and things of that nature that was different. It was a different presentation than what the audience had been used to. So it was in some cases it was looked down and kind of frowned upon in others. It was like people looking at it going, wow, we've never seen this before. Right. So it's the more flamboyant of the two promotions, in my opinion. Negro Costas goes to Japan and takes Eddie with him in 93 and his brothers scare him into thinking he needed to be in super shape. So he's running three hours a day in the desert to get ready. And he meets Chris Benoit who actually knocks him out in their very first match. And he describes Chris as his best friend. He also meets Finley in new Japan. And of course we know these relationships last far beyond this initial Japanese run. Uh, he starts wrestling as black tiger number two while in Japan. And according to the, the correct pronunciation would be uh, black tiger dose. Black tiger is a wrestler trained. This is according to the storyline. Black tiger is a wrestler trained and sent by a Yakuza like organization called the tiger's cave and the tiger's cave desired vengeance upon the wrestler tiger mask, a former trainee of theirs for publicly turning his back on them and no longer paying them their monetary tributes. So black tiger is the antagonist here. And Eddie wasn't originally going to don the mask and identity, but some changes led to him being given the mantle. And this storyline was directly derived from an anime video series that ran from 68 to 71 titled tiger mask, uh, bookers licensed the work and created characters based on it. This is kind of fun. Is this something that happened a lot that as far as you know, that as far in Japanese wrestling, I mean, they pulled characters right out of anime. 
I don't know what the fuck they do in Japan. Well, I'm just saying, like we've heard before, that Vince McMahon, goddamn, I want a Mighty Mouse. Is this sort of the same type of deal? Who the fuck would want a Mighty Mouse and a Tiger Mask if you got Mighty Mouse? If you got Mighty Mouse, do you need a Tiger Mask? Oh God, it's gonna be one of those days. Eddie becomes even more successful upon his return. He wins the '96 Best of the Super Junior Tournament of Junior Heavyweights, where he faced Jushin Thunder Liger in the finals. And by the way, these Super J Cup deals became monster tape trading opportunities through the mid nineties. These were the most sought after tapes. He ultimately receives a shot at the IWGP junior heavyweight championship, the great Sasuke at the skydiving J, but loses the match. He Dean, uh, Benoit, two cold Scorpio, Sean Waltman. They're all tight with each other during the time partying at night and wrestling during the day. And these matches, you know, as I said, become legendary amongst tape traders. Was anyone in the company paying attention to that? Look, would this have been something on Howard Finkel's radar or does this just fly under the radar? This may be something that Howard might've watched. I really don't know. It was during this time, especially there was more of an emphasis on larger athletes and the junior heavyweight wasn't something that we were really looking to expand in at the time. So it was okay, great. You know, it just kind of looked at as this was Japanese wrestling, or this was the triple a wrestling and things like that. Let's, uh, let's also talk about after this tour of Japan, he comes back to Mexico. He's going to mainly wrestle for triple a teaming with El Hijo del Santo. Hijo del Santo. And there's sort of the new version of the atomic pair, which is the tag team. His father had been in eventually after Guerrero turns on Santo, he allies with art bar and, uh, they become the pair of terror and, uh, the duo become arguably the most hated tag team in Lucha Libre history, along with bar Conan Chicano power and Madonna's boyfriend. Guerrero forms Los Gringos Locos, uh, a villain stable here. And that, I guess that's translated into the crazy Americans. Guerrero later said, no matter how many people joined Los Gringos Locos, the stable was all about art bar. Locos feuds mainly with uh, El Hijo del Santo and his partner, his partner Octagon. Eventually they have a hair versus mask match at the first Lucha pay-per-view in America when worlds collide. Is, is this more on your radar? Maybe the super Jacob stuff is not, but this tag team pairing of Eddie Guerrero and our bar boy, this was, uh, something that people talked about for years to come. I can definitely tell you what I remember about this, because this was Howard Finkel bringing tapes in and saying, you've got to see these guys. The emphasis at that time was art bar and it was looking at art wondering if this was something that we might be interested in. I became enamored with Eddie Guerrero because I looked at him and the things that Eddie could do, the way that Eddie walked and the way that Eddie talked and carried himself. Eddie carried himself like Shawn Michaels. And the description that I would always give Vince McMahon was that I thought Eddie Guerrero was just a Mexican version of, of Shawn Michaels as far as how he carried himself in the ring, how he worked, and his performance was phenomenal. So 
both of them. I, I loved Art Bar too. I thought that the team was great, and individually, both guys were tremendous. Was this, you know, Art doesn't wind up coming into WWE. He's going to have a little bit of trouble. He does wind up spending a little time in WCW, but was was his personal stuff always going to be a hindrance, or was it more the size that Vince McMahon would have been hung up on in the era? I think that art could have gotten over that. I think that art with the unique character and, and later on the whole Beetlejuice character and what have you, I think that art would have, that would have been a non-issue with art as far as his performance. He was 10 feet tall in performance area. So that size, although it wasn't something that we would really gravitate to, it was something that I feel the talent came through and you can make something out of him easily. Eddie had been using what later became known as the frog splash at the time. And, uh, he said he got the frog splash from La Fiera, a Spanish wrestler, but his partner, Art Barr started using the move without Eddie's blessing. And at this time, Eddie had some real issues with art. He said they butted heads and he would stop himself just short of saying he hated him, but clearly there was some challenging moments in their relationship. But when it's all said and done, do you think Eddie Guerrero's frog splash was the best? I mean, besides Rob Van Dam, who else would even be in the conversation? Maybe. Well, I think there's a few people. I think that D'Lo Brown actually had yeah. one hell of a frog splash, but sentimentally, I, I would go with Eddie Guerrero because of the way that he did it. It, it just was, uh, it looked like Eddie was not only trying to pin you and beat you with it. it it was he it was like a hold for eddie it was a spot but it was like a hold for eddie and you believed it when he got up to the top rope and came down on you do you own or rent your home sure you do and i bet it can be hard work but you know what's easy bundling policies with geico geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or your renters insurance along with your auto policy it's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Uh, Guerrero and uh, bars, big break comes when they're noticed in late 94 by the owner of ECW, or at least the booker at the time, Paul Heyman. And they're approached about wrestling for him in 95 bar. However, winds up passing away before he could actually make the shot with Guerrero. And Eddie would say that art's death really affected him in a lot of ways, including scaring him away from pills, at least for a little while, you know, art bar was not necessarily a major name in the American wrestling scene, uh, but he was amongst the hardcores, a well-respected performer. When a guy like that, who maybe hadn't quite made superstardom yet passes away. Does it still send shockwaves through the industry? Is it more like a ripple because he just wasn't on everyone's radar? Uh, of course it does. And for art, his father, Sandy bar had been in the business. So art was also second generation right. and had spent the majority of his career in the Pacific Northwest working for Don Owen he had done some other things, um, but really made a name for himself in Mexico. And people had taken notice. So art was at a place that 
maybe things were going to change for Art Barr and that he would break out of whatever bubble that he had been in for all these years. And people did know Art Barr and they did, they did like his work because back then I think most people would make a jaunt through the Pacific Northwest and, and, and see Sandy Barr and Art Barr and just, uh, he was the best, best known unknown in the business. So as we said, Eddie winds up joining up with ECW, which works out really well for him. He wins the television championship from two cold Scorpio in his debut match on April 5th, 1995 at three way dance. He goes on to have a series of acclaimed matches with Dean Malenko before they both get an opportunity to sign with world championship wrestling later in the year. Uh, he winds up losing the TV title to Malenko on July 21st that year, but gets it back just a week later on the 28th. Uh, and then ultimately drops it back to two cold on August 25th. And the next day they have their last match, which is going to end in a draw in a two out of three falls match at the ECW arena. And after the match, the entire locker room empties out and the two are carried around the ring by their fellow fellow wrestlers. And the crowd is chanting, please don't go. This series of matches here with Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko became legendary for not just the performers, but ECW. And I've always been curious knowing the working relationship you're going to have just a few years after this with Paul Heyman and ECW, why wasn't the WWF interested in Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero? Was it WCW solely pursuing the cruiserweight division? And, and without that, cause that was not a priority in the WWF. They just weren't, they weren't really checking all the boxes. I think more than anything, it was their size. It just they they were not the biggest guys in the world. So, um, who do you help help change Vince's thinking on that? And I, I know we we hate to talk talk in generalities, but we've often heard that the old Vince McMahon test from way back when was: do they turn heads in an airport? Do they stand out? And a lot of that is based on size. And we, we had these big hulking monsters through the eighties when Hulk Hogan was looking for a monster factory of opponents, but Bret Hart was the champion at this time. Shawn Michaels is going to be the very next year. And they're not the biggest guys. They're not, they're not uh, small men. I'm not suggesting that, but they're, they're not six foot five bodybuilders. Is there a time where you can say this guy changed Vince's mind? I think Sean and I think Sean and Brett are probably the, the two that were able to break through those barriers, imaginary barriers as they were, that that they were able to kind of work through it and get noticed. Let's uh let's keep it moving here. Eddie's biggest break happens when he gets this call from Kevin Sullivan. It's a chance to come to WCW. Sullivan has one promise. Eddie won't be jobbed out like a lot of the other smaller wrestlers, but he only promises him opportunity. His first year there is like a dream. As was the case with ECW. He arrives alongside Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit, two of his very best friends. And they have a series of matches with WCW. His first WCW match is actually on August 30th, 1995. These are the TV tapings where famously Vader got in a fight with Paul Orndorff. And Eddie would be working with Dean Malenko that night. His TV debut is fall brawl 95 in a no contest with Alex Wright. 
on the September 30th edition of Saturday night, they do a sit down interview with Eddie talking about growing up in a wrestling family and footage is shown of him and AAA, but of course, no mention of ECW here, but this is kind of a big deal to bring in a talent and not only put them on TV and on pay-per-view quickly, but these little sit down interviews, this is kind of a, a cool opportunity for a new performer to the company. It is. It was different presentation and it allowed their personality to come out a little bit. And sometimes, and sometimes not too, because you found that maybe they didn't have the greatest personality and, but yes, it was a unique way to introduce talent. Definitely. Eddie's going to round out 95 and matches against Pillman and disco and Jerry Lynn and big Bubba and a handful of other guys. But one of his biggest matches happened on December 18th. He finally gets to work with Ric Flair in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, Flair gets the win, but of course he cheated. Damn it. <gasps> Bastard. Uh, the classic moment happened uh, at the January clash though, on January 23rd, 1996. This is the famous moment where Brian Pillman is trying to work the entire industry and Pillman pins Eddie Guerrero with a cross body and grabbing the tights for leverage. But around the two minute mark, Pillman grabbed at Bobby Heenan by the jacket and Heenan responded with what the fuck are you doing? And that makes it out on the air. Um, I don't know. It's sort of fun to think about 1996 WCW and all these shenanigans. And I kind of forgot Eddie was even involved in that match because all anyone was talking about was Pillman and Heenan. Not a good thing. One of the weirdest finishes happened in Eddie's match at the uncensored 96 show on March 24th, the U S WCW United States champion and the Mexican heavyweight champion Conan pinned Eddie Guerrero in 1826 after the challenger missed time to leapfrog causing Conan to accidentally headbutt Guerrero in the dick. And after the match, Conan helped Guerrero to his feet and, uh, Eddie shoves Conan away. It's a weird and confusing finish, but. You know, that probably happens more often than we, uh, than we think in traditional athletics where someone gets uh, a no, no shot and that's it happens. Yes, it does. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you've had your no, no shots before everybody has, but listen, we know what, what he's going to go on to accomplish in WCW, but it feels like he's getting some real momentum. Uh, he's wrestling on nitro. He's wrestling on pay-per-view. He even has another pay-per-view match with Ric Flair at Hogwild 96. Um, he starts working with DDP for the battle bowl ring. They have a whole feud about that, uh, at clash of the champions and Halloween, uh, havoc 96. And eventually he finds himself in the United States title tournament. It's a significant moment for Eddie Guerrero, but maybe not for good reasons. He doesn't like the way he wins the U S title from DDP. The NWO are going to hit their finishers. And then Eddie hits his finish to secure the win. And he sort of thinks it hurts him as a baby face, uh, because, uh, well, he's smaller and a minority working in front of largely Southern wrestling audiences. So it's going to be hard for him to be a baby face when you've got these cool heels. I don't know. It just feels like they really made it difficult for him, but eventually uh, we do see him become a heel and boy, that's probably when Eddie really shines, at least in my opinion, in WCW, but winning the U S championship in WCW, especially for a quote unquote, smaller guy, that's a big deal. This is a belt that before him guys like Vader and sting and Steve Austin and Lex Luger 
and Ravishing Rick Rude and Ric Flair. Lots of folks had held this. So to not be immediately lumped into, all right, you're a tag team wrestler or you're a cruiserweight wrestler and get that U.S. title shot, pretty cool deal for Eddie. Well, I think that it spoke to Eddie's talent and being able to cross all those all those lines and have people get behind him. Eddie didn't work like, well, let me take this back. Eddie could work like a traditional luchador, but Eddie also knew how to adapt the luchador style into the American style of wrestling. And I would dare say that Eddie knew a lot more about American wrestling than he did the lucha style of wrestling. Um, but he was able to walk across the aisle and, and work both easily. Uncensored 97, we would see Dean Malenko pin Eddie Guerrero to win the title in a no DQ match. Uh, we should also mention that there's some interference from the cruiserweight champion six here. Malenko is going to use six as camcorder and hit Guerrero in the back of the head with it. Somewhere during the course of the match, Eddie is injured and he's out for like four and a half months. So it's gotta be a pretty tough deal. Hey, you're here, you're getting a spot, you get a big title run. Uh, and then you're hurt and you're on the shelf for four and a half months, but injuries happen. But since the match with DDP, where all of the NWO interfered, the fans had started to boo Eddie a little more and more. So when he comes back from injury, he's a full blown heel. And this is really where our legendary Eddie Guerrero was born. The major moment happens on June 9th, 1997. Jarrett is wrestling uh, the U.S. champ Malenko, and Jarrett defeats Malenko to win the title by submission. After Eddie Guerrero, with his arm in a sling, comes through the crowd and hits the frog splash on the champion behind the referee's back, and then he leaves the sling in the ring, showing he's no longer injured. You saw Eddie as both a babyface and a heel, and I know that you know when he becomes world champion, you know him as a babyface goes to a whole nother level. But I actually preferred Eddie as a heel. This WCW stuff he's about to do here, man, this was off the charts good stuff. And Eddie preferred being a heel. Eddie was much more comfortable as a heel, loved generating heat, and Eddie loved to, you know, play the heel in front of the camera and outside of the ring. Eddie was a natural heel and I think just kind of gravitated to that much, much more. Fall Brawl 97, we see Eddie Guerrero pin the cruiserweight champion Chris Jericho with a frog splash to win the title. And then immediately he's working against Rey Mysterio. It's a real personal rivalry. Eddie's trying to unmask Rey Mysterio. They have an unbelievable match at Halloween Havoc 1997. Uh, Guerrero is putting up his cruiserweight championship. Rey Mysterio is putting his match on the, his mask on the line. And Meltzer gave it four and three quarter stars still to this day, criminally underrated. This is blow the door, the, the damn doors off. Did you see this Halloween Havoc 97 match when it happened? Is this the era where you would still go over to Fink's house and watch pay-per-views or is that not really the case by 97? Yeah, I shit. I have no idea. I know I've seen the map, probably seen the match before, but not enough to say, okay, Hey, I remember that specific match. Meltzer went out of his way to say, this is the best WCW match in more than six years. Now you're making me think it wasn't that good of a match. Well, watch it, dude. I'm telling you, if there's a non-wrestling fan in your life, or 
if you want to celebrate the memory of Eddie Guerrero and introduce him to a younger fan or someone who is maybe not even a wrestling fan, I think you could show them this Halloween Havoc 97 match and they're going to be an, they're going to be an Eddie Guerrero fan and a Rey Mysterio fan. We, uh, we should talk about him winning the title back uh, on nitro from Memphis, um, on November 10th. And that sets up another match, uh, again with, uh, with the two Ray Mysterio and Andy Guerrero, maybe not as spectacular as uh, the Halloween havoc match, but still great stuff. He's going to enjoy a, a nice little run here, uh, at Malenko w- with Starcade 97, the next night, Ultimo dragon. This is a talent rich roster here. And Eddie's able to impress every si- every time he comes through the curtain. When did when did he start to be on your radar? We know that Jericho is going to come in and make a big splash, and all of the radicals are are going to get over uh, with WWF audiences when they come over in two thousand. But when was Eddie like? Hi, Vince. We gotta we gotta take a look at this guy. Man, I go all the way back to Los Gringos Locos. And Eddie's partnership with Art Bar because they that was revolutionary at the time, and Eddie stood out all all that time. So when Eddie went to WCW, personally, I was disappointed because I was kind of hoping that we you know, you're always looking for stars to fit in a certain demographic, and to me, Eddie Guerrero was that mega star that fit for the Hispanic market. And it was also a case of, you know, as I've always said, if you, if you pigeonhole someone, they will remain pigeonholed. I just thought Eddie Guerrero was such a great talent that we were missing the boat. And I, I wanted him all the way back from Gringos Locos and Eddie was, uh, not available. So, I'm not going very far. I'm in a rush. It's too uncomfortable. Sometimes I just forget. Don't kid yourself. There's no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. If you've used any of these excuses or any others, you're putting yourself at risk of injury or death. In 2018, nearly 10,000 people were unbuckled when they were killed in crashes. That's 43% of people killed in motor vehicle crashes that were not wearing seatbelts. No matter what kind of vehicle you drive, wearing your seatbelt is the best defense in a crash. Even when you sit in the back seat, you still need to buckle up. That goes for when you ride in taxis or use ride sharing services too. Cops are on the lookout and riding tickets. So why take the risk? Seatbelts save lives. So do the smart thing and buckle up every trip day or night, click it or ticket. It's just interesting to me, you know, when a guy goes out and it's one thing to to have a big run in Mexico or in Japan, it's another to do it in ECW, but it's quite another to work on primetime television on TNT. It, it feels like at this point, he's a proven commodity. Um, but maybe not so much to Eric Bischoff because this is the era where he has a sit down with Eric, where he's asking for a push and a raise. Apparently Bischoff gets frustrated and depending on who you believe, because Lord knows that. Uh, Bischoff has denied it. And I think even Guerrero says that Bischoff accidentally knocks the coffee over. Uh, it's not really throwing the coffee at him, but that became the storyline on air. They do a sort of a work shoot promo where he's going to ask for his release. 
And then when he comes back, he's going to form the LWO, the Latino world order. This feels like you would have absolutely loved it. Did you actually own a Latino world order t-shirt? This feels like something you would have been all about. No, but I'll translate that into Espanol for you. No. Let's talk about the big moment that's coming. That's going to be well, uh, very important over the course of Eddie's life. New year's day, 1999, uh, Eddie Guerrero cheats death. As he described, he took GHB before leaving the house, which was really popular in this era of WCW. He goes on a ride to the convenience store, but blacks out on the drive. He's doing 130 miles an hour when he flips and he's ejected out of the T-top convertible. He was driving his liver is bleeding. He's got a broken hip socket. He's going to suffer for many, many years because of these injuries. And, uh, he's anxious to get back in the ring, but the doctors tell him it's going to be no less than eight months. And maybe that would be very, very aggressive. Of course, Eddie being Eddie, he makes it back in six months, but he does say that this is ultimately what got him hooked on pills. He lost that fear of pills that he developed after art died because it's now a necessity to just operate. And in the late nineties, you know, these opioids really became a thing. They're marketed as non-habit forming something now we know to be untrue. Uh, and there's been major class action lawsuits and it claimed a lot of folks and famously a lot in the professional wrestling industry, Bruce, I know that as time goes on, you and he are going to become very close and talk about some of his struggles with addiction. Is this really the, the catalyst for all of it? This, this horrendous car wreck that nearly took him. Well, I don't know if it was a catalyst, but I also don't know if you remove this moment in time of Eddie's life, which was somewhat self-destructive, how the rest of his career would have turned out. So it's pivotal as far as what happened and the results after the fact, because it pretty much did change his life forever. And, you know, you, you always, you always get sad when you, you see this happen to someone and you're, you're, um, you you are helpless for a while when someone gets hooked on pills. He comes back to WCW on the May 31st, 1999 episode of Monday Nitro. And he's a founding member of the filthy animals alongside Ray Mysterio jr. And Conan, they fuel with the insane clown posse and vampiro. And then they start a feud with the revolution. Uh, at some what point, the fuck did he do wrong to have to go through that debacle? Well, Vince Russo's here, uh, and eventually he gets replaced by Kevin Sullivan and Eddie said he and the rest of his crew were really hopeful when Russo came in, but when he's replaced with Kevin Sullivan, all of their hope is lost and they all want out. You should remember behind the scenes to provide some context. Uh, Eddie is super tight with Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit and all those guys. And Chris Benoit has now famously. Um, situated himself with Kevin Sullivan's wife. So in a way the boys, uh, sort of form their own opinion of what they're going to do and not do. They, they pull together here and maybe it's not the scale they needed to, 
but Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, Perry Saturn, Shane Douglas, they all go to Bill Bush to demand change. And Eddie says that Bush felt threatened and didn't respond well. And the radicals, as they would come to be known, wanted out. They had conversations with Paul Lee. They were even considering going to Japan, but to their surprise, they called the WWF and New York is interested. The problem of course is according to who you believe Shane Douglas was on the outs with the company. So they're going to move forward without him. And I know that that would be hurtful to Shane, uh, because they sort of kayfabed him on that. Guerrero asked for and received a release from his contract on January 19th. And then he's going to sign with the WWF and uh, fellow stars, Malenko, Benoit and Saturn will join him. This is all in January of 2000. We've done a whole episode on the radicals. Uh, so I'm going to encourage you to go listen to that in the archives, but briefly tell, take us through, uh, the overview of how this whole jump happened, Bruce. Well, the four guys were definitely not happy with WCW in, in their mind. When Russo came, this is what they needed to have a fresh start and to be able to do something different, uh, non-traditional wrestling with Russo at the helm. So it was a moment of hope. And then they quickly came into, into a moment of dread when they realized what exactly they had there and, or didn't have. So WCW, I guess, made the change to to Sullivan. And there was some personal heat with Sullivan where these guys did not feel that they would be treated fairly moving forward. So they, they asked for their release and they called me. It was actually, uh, Saturn that originally called me and then talked to Benoit and talked to Eddie and talked to Dean and, and got him up. But, uh, the radicals episode that we have in the archives explains it and lays out the entire story. Um, there's the, the hilarious story with Conan and, we've gotten over since then. And you know, the, the fact that the four guys coming over only wanted to come as those four guys. And no matter what anybody says, thinks, or what have you, that is how it happened and what happened. How excited is Vince? You know, he's still trying to, uh, obviously the company has surpassed WCW here. They're well in the rear view, but this has to feel like another way to sort of put your foot on their necks. If you're Vince McMahon, right? Not dude. WCW by this point was dead. Yeah. Yeah. What put your, it's like stepping on an ant who cares? No, that not the mindset in any way, shape or form. It was the addition of four brand new talents who were extremely talented at what they did. That's the excitement there and having Eddie and Benoit and Perry and Dean all at once, it was an inflection of new talent guys with history. So, um, it was a lucky break and one that we, we definitely went for. The the group shows up on raw sitting ringside January 31st, 2000. And, uh, very quickly they're booked in in in-ring competition to try to win matches in typical WWE fashion. They go. Oh, and three listen all about that. in The radicals episode. I really take Bruce to task. Uh, 
One of the things I saw in my research yeah, here. Yeah, based on you and Dave Meltzer's extensive fucking uh, history and booking and writing television. So anyway. No, no, no. You were trying to get these new guys over, so you, you beat them all. I got it. That's how you get over. Yeah, you get put over. Them in, put them in a story. Uh, how do you get guys over? How many matches did Ric Flair win? At least 16 of them. Okay, over f- 75 years? I'm just saying, you don't have to get three Dang quarters room, hot. So he wasn't over because he didn't win matches. I'm not saying that at all. I mean, yes, I, you are. You're saying, oh, you, it's how you get guys over. You beat them. No, I know yeah. that's the WWE way. Whenever you, you bring it over, whenever you bring in another talent from another promotion, you want to beat them as fast as you can. Cause that's how they get over in WWE with losses, right? Sometimes. Yes. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I don't know why we're arguing here. I'm agreeing with you. No, you're, you're, you're doing your thing. No, I'm not. Listen, oh, you, oh, they just beat them. Cause they came from WCW. No, it's not why there's a story behind it. What was the story? The story was they came in and they were underdogs and were fighting from underneath and, and lost. Yeah. Yep. And then they overcame, didn't they? Oh, I, I mean, that's what two I'm of, trying to two I, of them became world champions. Boy, we buried the fuck out of them. Oh, God damn. Let's have them come in and make them world champions. That God damn. You guys buried the fuck out. You, they came in and lost three in a row. Boy, you never going to be able to do anything with them ever again. That's stupid. Are you combing your fucking mustache with the comb again? I, I didn't figure I needed to talk for a while. So, uh, Eddie says he tells the, by the way, we should mention that, uh, on his first night in here, you specifically told Eddie Guerrero, do your frog splash, but severely dislocate your elbow if you can. So he does exactly what you told him to. Uh, and then when he comes out of the ring injured beyond belief, uh, he's not going to be able to wrestle for three or four weeks, but you ask him to come back to work personally and work. And of course you've disputed that, but that's what Eddie wrote in his book. So I'll let you take it from there. I made him work hurt. Yes. Is this what you're saying? Yes. Okay. After returning from that injury, Eddie reveals a crush he had on China. And that leads to our April 3rd, 2000 WrestleMania event. He's doing everything in his power to prove that she could not resist his Latino heat. And Eddie came up with this Latino heat from the movie Birdcage with Robin Williams, uh, which, uh, ref- references Guatemalan-ness, if that's even a word and heat. And Eddie says he just changes it to Latino heat and uses it in a promo and gets a big reaction. So the office decides to run with it. I've, I'm fascinated by that. That Latino heat wasn't from a writer's room. It was just him saying, Hey, what if, and it got over huge, right? Latino heat. It was over huge. Do you think this is when Vince McMahon really gets sold on Eddie Guerrero? You've told us before. You know, that you thought AJ Styles when he was in TNA was a fine performer and he could do some spectacular stuff. And how could you not be entertained with his athleticism, et cetera, et cetera. But as silly as it was, the silly whole Claire Lynch pregnancy thing showed that he could do quote unquote acting. He could tell stories. And that was probably something that 
is very important to Vince McMahon telling stories for WWE programming. Well, this whole Eddie Guerrero China thing, whereas some guys in the era looked at, oh, I got to work with China. I don't want to work with China for whatever reason. Eddie used it in a major advantage. The Latino heat thing gets over audiences fall in love with him. This to me feels like when Vince realizes, wait a minute, he's more than just a wrestler. This is a superstar. Yeah. In life, you're afforded, uh, many opportunities, many chances, and, and you have to make decisions. So you can be handed something that some people might feel is the death knell and you're, oh, this is horrible and all this other shit. And then there are people that take the exact same opportunity and look at it like, okay, I'm going to go out and steal the show. I'm not going to let them deny me. And they'll have to pay attention after my performance. And that's exactly what Eddie and China did is they went out and said, okay, if this is being viewed in one way, then I'm going to show them that I will steal the show every night. And that is exactly what Eddie Guerrero did. Wasn't denied, would not be denied. And had people talking about him, uh, you know, in a performance that wasn't the main Attraction. program and story yeah. on the show, it was the main, but yet you wouldn't know that by his performance. Right. The most hated jeweler in America is excited to introduce you to someone very special. She's beautiful, classy, and she's brilliant. She will dazzle you. People can't stop staring at her. Meet Krista. She's easy. Wait, what? Krista is Steven Singer's most loved engagement ring and takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, 100% eye flawless, near colorless, high quality, round, brilliant cut diamond expertly set into a classic solitaire Tiffany setting that will withstand the test of time. Krista is available. She's ready for love and ready to meet you. Steven Singer isn't in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. This magnificent full one carat round, brilliant cut diamond is only 31.98. Real jewelry doesn't have to be expensive. Plus free shipping and 12 months interest free financing. Steven's showroom is open by appointment only or go now to IHateStevenSinger.com and click on the Krista ready for love engagement ring. Steven Singer jewelers, real jewelry, real experts for your real love. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. And let's put in context what you're saying here. Eddie Guerrero, who we know to be one of the best wrestlers that ever lived. His first WrestleMania is a six man tag where China pins him. And to a lot of guys, I'm sure that would feel like the kiss of death, but Eddie is so into this Latino heat character. He loves the skits. He loves the entertainment side. He gets heat from it. This actually works. It's, it's pretty remarkable when you can, but, but wait, wait a minute. How, how can it, how could it possibly work if he lost? Oh my God, Bruce, why, why are you being like this? I ha- why am I being like this? I'm just, I'm just. Using your, uh, I'm not using your own word. I feel like, I feel like we're saying the same things here. You've taught us a long time ago that in WWE, you get over by losing. You don't have to go over to get over. I mean, these are your words. 
and to uh, to argue my point, but in in fact, you just validated it. You pointed out that Flair lost way more than he won, and I jokingly said he won at least sixteen times. And you again doubled down on my own argument. Yeah, sixteen times in seventy five years. You don't have to go over to get over, and this Latino heat thing proved that. All right, let's just move along. Gosh, we're going to talk about wins and losses all day. On the April 4th episode of Raw, Eddie captures the European Championship from Chris Jericho after China turns on Y2J and reveals that she could not, in fact, resist Eddie Guerrero's Latino heat. So the two polar opposite characters come together and make for some very memorable moments. This is a time when I think WWE TV is probably at its peak as far as the, the creative storytelling involved. You're uh, welcome. Yeah. Prior to the backstage uh, or, or the backlash pay-per-view rather, uh, Guerrero was studying to take his G- GED with the assistance of China, all while defending his European title. And at the event, he and China returned from the prom just in time for Eddie to wrestle S.A. Rios in a major title bout. Guerrero defeats Rios after arriving ringside in a 1957 Chevrolet, even wrestling in his tuxedo pants and a bow tie. And after that, Guerrero, who was getting babyface reactions, is now officially a face. It's pretty remarkable that this Latino Heat character got over as much as it did. What can you tell us about? you know, how you guys sort of paid this off with him in China and the way you started to introduce him driving cars to the ring. I think this is the first time we saw it happen. Of course, he's going to do it uh, much later as well. Um, it feels like you're sort of hitting your stride with your Eddie Guerrero character. Uh, Eddie couldn't be denied. The audience was loving everything that he did. You add to that, the natural charisma and connection that China and Eddie had, and people were, people were into it. So it it made sense and they couldn't get enough of it. It wasn't, you know, we didn't turn Eddie Guerrero in any way, shape or form. The The audience audience did. Yeah. Eddie successfully retains the title, uh, against the radicals, uh, former stable mates, both Saturn and Malenko and a triple threat at judgment day. Uh, and he keeps it until fully loaded in July and he drops it to Perry Saturn, but the on-screen relationship with China goes well into the summer and the popularity continues to build, but eventually China's upset when Eddie pins her to advance in the King of the ring tournament, which is kind of good storytelling. And then at SummerSlam that August Guerrero and China wrestle a mixed tag match against Trish Stratus and Val Venus, uh, who at the time was the intercontinental champion. The IC title here is on the line in the match and whoever scores the pin would become the champion. Guerrero's team wins the match, but China scored the pin. Uh, so now China is a two-time intercontinental champion. And of course, Eddie doesn't mind that his partner is champion, but fans suspect otherwise when he tries to protest too much. The September 4th raw is war is when he goes to the commissioner, Mick Foley and asked to be inserted into China's title defense against Kurt Angle, claiming he didn't want Kurt to hurt his mamacita. But during, mamacita. during the course of the match, Angle knocks down China with the title belt, and Guerrero lays on top of her to try to revive her. But of course, this results in Guerrero accidentally pinning China as her shoulders are still on the mat, and now Guerrero has won his first Intercontinental Championship. He spends weeks trying to get her to believe that he didn't intentionally take the title from her. 
Bruce, this is just good stuff. What can you tell us about this storyline? You know, the idea that he has inserted himself into the match and now accidentally pins her and accidentally takes her title. This is great stuff. He was just going down to check on her, make sure she was okay. And, and let her know that he loved her and, and kind of gave her a hug and just wanted to be affectionate and that damn, and you know, the referee being an asshole referee went in and, and counted the fall. And next thing you knew, shit, history was made. Well, and he, that's continue, good shit. And we start to sort of plant the seeds here a little bit because Eddie's going to start to cheat to retain this title. And you see China's not upset. She's not happy with that. She's upset that he's cheating to retain it. But one of the, the really fun moments from this era is Eddie is upset that China is posing for playboy magazine because he's <laughs> even trying to invade the playboy mansion to stop the photo shoot a hilarious skit here. Is this something that you would have shot? It is. Yes. I did the playboy mansion stuff. And then also when we were in Chicago, we did the playboy headquarters in Chicago and went to their offices and had Eddie carried out there. It was fucking, it was just so easy and so good that, um, people didn't want it to end. It, it was entertaining as hell, a jealous Eddie Guerrero that trying to live with the fact that the entire world was going to see his mamacita like, man, she got no clothes. What happened to your clothes? And, um, if it, it was just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Just when it appeared that China is going to leave Eddie, he proposes to her and she accepts an unforgiven China even helps him retain his title against Rikishi, but ultimately their engagement is called off when GTV, I believe had some footage of Eddie in the shower with two of the Godfather's hose, one of which was Victoria. And I think on the video, you hear him claim that two mamacitas are better than one. So the engagement is broken off. Hey man, I just needed to get my back watched. Well, I was watching my front, but there were two Makes of them. sense to me, but there were two of them. I know one's doing the back one's doing the front. Okay. I expect him to wash himself. Do you? So, you know, this China thing was working. Is it just time? What, what were you ready to do more single stuff? Was she, was she done with the storyline? Or did creative just feel like, okay, it's ran its course. Well, it's kind of a combination of both. You, you want China to go on her own with the playboy stuff. And Eddie, in many respects was stealing the show there. Yeah. And so it was time to move on with Eddie as well. So they, of course they didn't need each other anymore. Guerrero has now turned heel as a result of the incident. Cause, uh, I guess cheating on your fiance, that's a heel move. Uh, the radicals reform and feud with Is the, it? that's debatable. I think, I mean, whew, might I mean say he was just getting clean for, her. yes, that's true. He was trying to be considerate, right? So the radicals are reforming here. They're going to feud with a reunited DX, which is China, Billy Gunn, road dog. And of course who could forget K quick. Uh, they defeated DX at survivor. What's up? What's up? They actually defeated DX at survivor series in an elimination tag match and assisted triple H in his match with stone cold, Steve Austin. Uh, Guerrero is later defeated by Billy Gunn for the intercontinental title. 
on the Thanksgiving day episode of uh, SmackDown and at rebellion Guerrero and Malenko lose to gun in China. And then Benoit leaves the group to focus more on a singles career. The rest of the radicals are going to feud with Lita and the Hardy boys. And at Armageddon, the radicals defeat the Hardy boys in an elimination tag match. But in early 2001, Guerrero starts to feud with Chris Jericho, Benoit and X-Pac all over Jericho's IC championship and no way out. There's a fatal four way that Jericho wins. And then he focuses on the European title afterwards, feuding with the champion test and actually defeating him at WrestleMania X seven to win his second European championship with a little help from his pals, Saturn and Malenko. So the first WrestleMania Freddy Guerrero, he loses to China in a six man. The second one, he's uh, getting a win over test, a much bigger man for the European championship. Things are looking up for Mr. Guerrero. Yeah, I still can't get over. I mean, it sounds like a 1959 uh, black and white movie in the day. Armageddon, the radicals defeated Hardy Boys and Lita in an elimination tag. I don't know why I wanted to do that, but it just kind of felt good to me. In April, radicals and Lita. Guerrero's going to leave the radicals, siding with Hardy Boys and Lita. But Guerrero had developed an addiction to pain medication, stemming back to that 99 New Year's Day car accident. And in May of 2001, he sent to rehab. To explain his absence, a storyline was created where Guerrero was injured by Albert in a match. And on November 9th, 2001, he's arrested for drunk driving and subsequently released by the company three days later. A lot to unpack here. We should add some context. WCW and ECW both go out of business in early 2001. So for him to get sent to rehab in May of 2001, fresh off of a WrestleMania title victory, this is not the best situation to be in professionally. What was your relationship like with him here in May of 2001? When you sent him to rehab, do you remember the conversation? You know, it it was, this is kind of where our con our relationship just started to get closer and where Eddie started opening up to people a little bit more because Eddie realized he needed help. And that's the first step. A lot of time when you stop blaming everyone else for any issues that you may have and you accept it and look at the, look in the mirror and realize that, okay, you know what? It might've been me. So, I was trying to help Eddie through a lot of this stuff and the best thing for Eddie at the time was probably to go away. Eddie needed to have ramifications and Eddie needed to lose something. I think to realize that if he doesn't change his ways, things will be bad. Well, it didn't exactly work. He's arrested November 9th, 2001 for drunk driving. When you guys make the call to release him or you get the news of the arrest, what's the reaction? Do you feel like, man, he's getting too close to the sun here. We need to do something different. I I probably felt a little betrayal, but just sadness. And you, you want the guy to succeed so bad. 
And Eddie could be his own worst enemy at times. But the decision had to be made. Eddie had to have ramifications and had to lose something. In this case, it was unfortunately he had to lose his job so that he could understand you can't continue living your life the way you are. Well, it's got to be a punch to the gut. He's going to get sober after this uh, for good. He gets on a program. He gets help from his friends. But most importantly, he took responsibility. He works the indie circuit and he eventually gets a, a shot to come back April, 2002. So he's only gone for five or six months, but in that five or six months, he made quite the impression across the indie scene. Uh, there's a lot of guys who are on TV now who had a chance to work with Eddie during that era. And the reports were he could not have been more professional, more polite, more respectful, uh, more willing to teach. Um, you had to be hearing reports like that from his indie appearances, right? That this is not the same Eddie that we had last year. Without a doubt. And he, uh, first of all, we were helping him get some of those bookings and talking to promoters and talking to other people that were out there that saw him on a nightly basis and, and we're working with him and everyone was giving glowing reviews and a clear eyed and different Eddie Guerrero. So we were hopeful. Well, he, uh, he realizes this is his second chance. Um, was it help me understand for, and I know this was a long time ago, but when you guys cut him loose in November of 2001, are there marching orders? Hey, go get yourself clean, get out there on the indie circuit. We'll help you where we can. And once we've got a, a proven track record that you can, you know, get straight and stay straight. We'll bring you back. I mean, did he know I can come back? I've just got to do this for X number of days or X number of matches and just prove that I can be at my best. The look, you know, it was put out there and told we wanted Eddie to get healthy. We wanted Eddie to get healthy for Eddie and for his family. Right. So if he could prove that a door is never shut. Um, or if a door is shut. There's, there's always a door handle that it can be opened again. So you never say never in this business. And the hope was that you would be able to rehab, you know, that's why they call it rehab, but be able to rehab everything about him, his, his mind, his body, his spirit, and his family. So that was the goal. And I think that Eddie really felt that he could conquer those demons and be able to come back and not miss a beat. Help me understand when, when a guy like this gets cut, does, does he have a conversation with Vince or does Vince have a conversation when they come back or does it just go through human resources and folks like that? And then uh, if anything, Vince talks to him at the first TV, it depends. It really depends on, on the talent and it depends on the situation. I believe at this time that, uh, it was pretty much handled by Jr. and Eddie got the news and, you know, time to move on. And hopefully we can do something with you down the line. He comes back on April 1st, 2002. He's going to attack Rob Van Dam on raw here. He starts a feud with Rob Van Dam and defeats him for his second intercontinental championship at backlash. He'll retain the title against RVD at insurrection and judgment day, but finally loses it back to Rob Van Dam in a ladder match on May 27th. 
And most people remember this ladder match because a fan charged into the ring and shoves the ladder over while Eddie's on it. And of course this resulted in that idiotic fan getting punched and stomped by Eddie, but probably criminally charged as well. What do you remember about this silly fan here trying to, uh, involve himself in the match and Eddie Guerrero, I'm giving him a, a little bit of the business. Yeah. Uh, not cool. Scary as shit, man. And the, uh, the guy's lucky that the only got out of there with a couple of bruises, not smart. And it was a different time in that if someone came into the ring, you have to understand as a performer, especially when you're a heel performer that you don't know if, a member of the audience comes jumping in the ring, trying to attack you. You don't know if they have a knife or a gun or, or what the hell their skill level is or anything else. All you know is there's some place that they're not supposed to be in your world and you, ha- you have to defend yourself. So in our, in our world today, I think that it has gotten to the point where you can't even defend yourself. So, uh, back then, yeah, it was, it was scary. And we used the guy as a, as an example. Well, people who were watching that night probably won't soon forget that. You've heard us talk about hymns and how they're helping guys look their best. If you haven't yet, it's time to see what they're all about. You see, here's the problem. 66% of men start to lose their hair by the age 35. And once you've noticed thinning hair, it can be too late. Is that hairline slowly starting to move backwards? Any bald spots yet? The best way to prevent more hair loss is to do something about it while you still have some. A lot of guys turn to weird solutions or do nothing when they can turn to medicine and science. And here's their solution for hymns.com. It's a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. It's time to write a new chapter, one in which you have hair. Thanks to science, baldness can be optional. Hems is helping guys be the best version of themselves with licensed medical providers and FDA approved products to help treat hair loss. No snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements. These are prescription solutions backed by science. Hems was created by a guy who knows some men's health conversations are easier online than in person. So there's no awkward in-person doctor's visit or long pharmacy lines. For Hems connects you to a licensed medical professional online, which could save you hours. It's completely confidential and discreet. You'll answer a few quick questions and a medical professional will review. And then if they determine it's right for you, they can prescribe your medication to treat hair loss and ship directly to your door. And today Hems is giving their very best offer yet. If you're not happy with their results after 90 days, Hems will give you a full refund. And right now, my listeners can get their first visit absolutely free. Go to forhims.com slash wrestle. That's forhims.com slash wrestle. Full refund of price paid available for the first 90 days supply. Refund requests must be made between 90 and 180 days after product shipment delivered. Prescription products require an online consultation with a medical professional who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. Remember, that's forhims.com slash wrestle. Let's talk about after Eddie's feud with Rob Van Dam. He starts another program. How about this? Eddie Guerrero versus Steve Austin. Yeah, 
Our first match was at a raw live event on May 25th in Winnipeg. You idiot. Austin Pendetti after a stunner in the main event and the two headlined a few more house shows, but Austin leaves the company before a televised match could take place. Specifically, this is when Austin walked out after he no showed raw on June 10th, 2002. Um, Flair ended up working a match with Eddie King of the ring, which Flair won. Here's my question. I guess was Austin supposed to be in the spot against Eddie King of the ring? Because it feels like in this era for Austin to be working Eddie on house shows in the main event, it seems like, okay, we're headed towards them doing something on TV together. Would it have happened at King of the ring or something else? Maybe. Well, they did do uh, stuff on TV leading up to it. We did the horrible, um, barroom karaoke thing where Steve sang and Eddie was there to heckle and and that was a hell of an ordeal because of Eddie's addictions and everything. Eddie was uncomfortable being in the bar and, you know, having a beer on his table and things like that. But it was, look, Eddie, you're, you're a performer or you're not. And he got over it pretty quickly. I would have to say, I think we did it in Nashville. And I'd have to say it was, um, probably some of the worst TV that I ever did because I don't think Steve was really into it. I don't think Vince was really into it and Eddie was a little apprehensive. So it was an idea that Steve had that was only half thought out. And it was a situation where Vince really wanted to do it because Steve really wanted to do it. Um, hindsight, I wouldn't have done it because it just did not work. Well, it, it is interesting to think what it could have been, you know, had they had a real long TV feud and pay-per-view payoffs and all of that. Uh, but here's the deal. Uh, Benoit and Eddie are now a team. Benoit is going to return on the same night. Eddie lost the IC belt to RVD and they stick with each other through the summer. Another big moment for Eddie happens on July 22nd on raw from grand rapids. It's his first match against the rock and rock is the world champ at the time. And he's going to pin Eddie at eight and a half minutes with a spine buster and a people's elbow. It's a non-title match, but had Guerrero been victorious, he would have earned a title shot the following week. But after the match, rock has an altercation and he's off to the races with Brock Lesnar. Um, we should mention there are, there is a, an interesting moment where you see Guerrero and Benoit move to the SmackDown brand in early August. This is a big deal because Guerrero is going to become a major player for SmackDown. Do you think SmackDown in hindsight was really Eddie's home? It was 100%. And I think that, that was somewhere that Eddie could uh, flourish and not be having the pressure. You also think about it. I mean, SmackDown had the potential to have more homes. SmackDown was broadcast at the time and shit. Yeah. I think that whenever you look at who made certain brands and what brands made certain talent that SmackDown and Eddie Guerrero definitely go good together. He's immediately programmed in a feud with edge. Ultimately edge would win the rivalry. And then he's involved with a uh, Kurt angle in an angle. That's fun to say. 
And then Eddie aligns himself with his nephew Chavo and they form the tag team Los Guerreros. And in contrast to a previous WCW storyline, Chavo fully agrees with his uncle about their, their slogan. We lie, we cheat, we steal, but at least we're honest about it. Uh, and to push this new tag team, a series of vignettes are produced, which include things as the two finagling their way into a rich lady's house and throwing a pool party. And the segments really are a shot in the arm for the audience. The popularity of this team on the other side of these vignettes is hilarious. This feels like this is a Vince idea. Is this Brian? Is this you? Are you there for the shoot? What can you tell us about these? Uh, no, I didn't do the shoot. As a matter of fact, I think Adam Panucci might've done the shoot. Um, but it was guys at the studio that did it. And we just had this, this idea of Eddie, you know, what does Eddie do? He lies, he cheats, he steals. Right. And you think about it to get ahead in the world. Sometimes you have to lie and cheat and steal. So the audience, you, you think that that's going to be a heel character and you think that people, ah, oh, they lie, they cheat, they steal. Well, I think most people could identify with that and fell in love with them all over again because they did it with a smile on their face and a gleam in their eye that what they were doing was right. And what they were doing is, man, it's okay, man. Everybody knows we live, we cheat, we steal, man. We love you. It's okay. It's great skits. The, the pool inspectors who just want to party, the parking valets who just want to go on a joy ride. Um, the duo enter the eight man tag team tournament for the tag titles. They're going to sneak past Rikishi and Mark Henry in the opening round. And then start a feud with the newly formed tag team of Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit. And one of the team's definitive moments, Chavo tells Benoit that his former friend Guerrero was assaulted by his tag team partner angle. Benoit runs to make the save only to have himself locked inside a room. Guerrero then appears in the room and assaults Benoit with a chair. Benoit and Angle manage to overcome their differences and eventually defeat Los Guerreros in the tournament semifinals. And later, of course, Benoit Angle would win the title. And uh, Benoit Angle fight for a trophy for being the first time tag team champions, but much to their surprise, Los Guerreros help him win the match. Uh, on November 7th, 2002, WWE world champion Brock Lesnar pins Eddie Guerrero in a non-title match in six minutes and 41 seconds with the F5. This is their first match together. Nobody could have probably predicted what this is going to look like a couple years later, huh? Yeah, actually, I think they could have because I think it was the way that Eddie worked with Brock and the way that Brock worked with Eddie. They they knew how to work with and for each other. So it was essentially the first time and looking at it going, hmm, you know what? This could work because Brock was able to accentuate Eddie's positives and vice versa. At Survivor Series, Los Guerreros win the tag titles. Uh, Guerrero makes Mysterio submit to the lasso from El Paso to win their first tag team championship. Where's your lasso come from? And they turn due to their popularity. So they're big baby faces now. They're ultimately going to drop the belts to Team Angle, which is Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin uh, in early February on SmackDown. And they start a feud together, and both teams find themselves... Uh, in a match at WrestleMania 19, along with Benoit and Rhino, uh, it's a, it's, they're all vying to be 
number one contenders for that tag title. Ultimately, uh, they do not wind up victorious. Uh, Haas and Benjamin win that triple threat. They get a rematch at backlash and Los Guerreros lose there again. But along the way, Chavo tears his biceps and that forces Guerrero to look for another partner. He chooses Tajiri and believe it or not, they win the tag titles. So this is Guerrero's second title win. Uh, they win it at judgment day against team angle in a ladder match. Why was Tajiri the right substitute for Chavo? I think that his entertainment value and that Tajiri was able to express his emotions through his facials and through his physical, uh, how he reacted to Jerry, man, come on. He, he was absolutely one of the best and they fit. It, it was like peas and carrots, but uh, during, you know, during this time, there was a incident in San Diego with the Guerreros and Haas and Benjamin. <laughs> Good Lord, man. I went back and, uh, I'm sitting there thinking, ah, oh, shit. They're, they're all pissed off. And I think that, uh, Charlie and Shelton were in the locker room and Chavo and Eddie went in and I don't remember. I think it was Chavo going in and Eddie having his back and, but long and short of it, I was, they, they came in to fight and everybody knew it. And someone had told me and I headed off Chavo and Eddie at the pass. And there was a glass door into the locker room there. Um, and they just kind of end arounded me and got in and it wasn't, you know, wasn't, wasn't really a fight. It was, I think everybody got in between them and cooler heads prevailed, but you talk about a scary fight for, for tough guys, legit for shooters and, um, for guys that could definitely go. So I'm, I'm extremely grateful that cooler heads prevailed and I didn't get my ass kicked in the middle of them kicking each other's ass. Let's talk about Tajiri and Eddie. They even work a tag match at Madison square garden against Roddy Piper and his protege at the time, Sean O'Hare, man, if you're an old school wrestling fan, which obviously Eddie was, he had to be tickled to be working Roddy Piper at Madison square garden. Are you kidding? Oh yeah. I mean, Roddy and Chavo, holy shit. Uh, had a tremendous rivalry in Los Angeles when Eddie's dad, Gory, was promoting Los Angeles. So the Guerreros and Piper go way, way back. You know, I think Piper, very much like me, was an honorary Guerrero and vice versa. So a thrill, and they knew each other well. There's a lot of respect on both sides of that fence. Eventually Guerrero and Tajiri would lose the, uh, the titles to, uh, team angle who are now calling themselves the world's greatest tag team that happens in early July on SmackDown. And then Guerrero would turn on Tajiri slamming him through the windshield of his low rider truck, turning heel again. And the following week, uh, Guerrero tries to explain his actions to the audience and to everyone's surprise, the audience doesn't care. They're still with Eddie Guerrero. It's, it's pretty remarkable. I don't think Eddie could have been a heel here. If he tried the audience had fallen in love with him. 
Yeah, and Eddie going to the to the audience and asking the audience for affirmation. The audience is like, "No, Eddie, it's okay, man. We love you." Whatever he did, they loved. He's in a tournament in July of 03 for the United States Championship. He's going to advance to the final round, defeating Ultimo Dragon and Billy Gunn along the way. But in the finals, it's down to him and Benoit. And at vengeance, he turns to cheating and hits Benoit with the belt at one point in the match. Guerrero tries to get Benoit in trouble by placing the title belt on top of the unconscious Benoit. Of course, it doesn't work since he knocked out the referee earlier with a championship belt to the uh, belt shot to the kidneys. And the match ends with interference and a gore from Rhino, Benoit's partner, who is furious at the team's failure. And Guerrero pins Benoit and wins the U.S. championship. He retains by defeating Rhino at SummerSlam. Benoit is also in there along with Tajiri. It's a fatal four-way, which seems kind of common in this era. Hey, we got a lot of talented performers. Not sure what to do with them. Ah, let's just throw them in a four-way. But he turns face again, at least officially. And he starts a feud against a young John Cena. So the United States champion, Eddie Guerrero defeats John Cena on SmackDown that week by DQ after the challenger hit a low blow while Guerrero was attempting a series of rolling snap suplexes. And after the bout, Cena bloodied the champion hits him and chokes him with a steel chain before dropping Guerrero with the FU onto a steel wheel in the ring. It's pretty remarkable when you think about this. John Cena as a heel beating up an Eddie Guerrero that the fans absolutely adore. I mean, that a few years later would seem almost impossible, but it happened. Here we are. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, I think it could have happened years later with roles reversed and the audience still would have been behind Eddie. It's, it really is just such an interesting dynamic that, you know, Cena's going to get over and become the face of the place. Literally. Uh, but it's like the fans to your point still would have cheered Eddie and they had a pretty memorable Latino heat parking lot brawl on SmackDown that airs on September 11th when Eddie pins Cena with a frog splash off of a minivan onto Cena. He's on the hood of an adjacent car. And in that match, Chavo makes his return and attacks Cena. Any memories of that production? Uh, you know, whenever you're working with cars, it feels like the risk is really leveled up. Yeah, but it was a lot of fun, man. We did it in the parking lot and had everything, you know, all around. And then the we're starting to shoot the thing and realize, man, we, we don't have the lighting's not carrying over into where we need to be. We put on the lights, the headlights of the cars to just kind of add more light in the middle of the thing and ambiance. But Eddie and, and uh, John beat the living shit out of each other made that thing to me. It's probably one of the best, uh, parking lot brawls we've ever had. Let's, uh, let's talk about what we're doing next though, because it's sort of weird that we see the singles run doing so well with Chavo injured, you know, I mean, he's had a title win. He's uh, feuding with John Cena. But now that Chavo's back, we're making them a tag team again. Los Guerreros were over and they're actually going to pick up the tag team championship again from the world's greatest tag team. And Guerrero's a double champion in the process. Now he's got the U S title, but he's also got, uh, the tag title. This is his third tag team title run. 
when he's in the middle of this hot singles run, is he hesitant at all to team with Chavo or because it's family and it was working? Let me try to do both. Do both because out of love, Eddie wanted to work with his nephew and it was working. It was something that was fun. And it was also something that the audience was, was craving. So you get double the Guerreros and everything can stay the same. You can still keep Eddie in the singles picture and put Chavo in there. And it was great for Chavo as well. I think it elevated Chavo tremendously. And it was something that, uh, if you were to ask me, the audience was kind of clamoring for it. They liked the Los Guerreros. Let's talk about the, uh, the feud with big show. This is fairly memorable because, and I can't believe this is real. Did you say barely or fairly? Fairly. Uh, well, it's a situation October 10th, 2003 on SmackDown. <laughs> they have fed. Big show, some laxative laced burritos. And after big show defeats Chavo in the main event by count out, Eddie comes to the ring with a sewage truck from doodoo.trucking.com. And though he failed to hit big show in the ring, boy, he hit, he hit the target on the entrance ramp. And, uh, it's probably one of the more memorable shall we say comedic segments in wwe history it's a shit truck we're shooting shit i assume it's working shit i hope it's not shoot shit was there this was sh- shoot shit in there there was shoot shit in there there was shoot shit in the shoot shitter shit truck why would you want to shoot shit shoot shit at big show well you didn't here's the thing now, I'm not going to point fingers at anyone or anything like that, but the the people that got the shoot shit truck got a shoot shit truck. Instead of getting a truck like a brand new truck. They took it literally truck, and went and got an actual doo-doo truck. They got a honey dipper. You know what a honey dipper is? I'm Googling it. Honey dipper is the shoot shit truck. Really? They're the one that goes and they... they, they tie up to the end of the sewer system and your, uh, in your backyard, your septic, and they suck the shit out of the thing. Honey wagon is what, uh, some folks call it. Well, honey dipper. I call them shit suckers. Oh, so So anyway, they went and got an actual honey dipper. They actually got one that had been, uh, in service and (laughs) the idea (laughs) They're like, well, we'll just clean it out. Oh no, that's yeah. So they spent all day cleaning this motherfucker out, not realizing how difficult it is. Yeah. That shit was everywhere to everywhere. And they're cleaning it out, you know, and you're still going to have little particles remnants everywhere. Nuggets kind of like chitlins. Like chitlins, look, folks, I don't give a shit how, how clean you think your chitlins are cleaned. There's still going to be little pockets of doo-doo in there. <laughs> so chitlins is basically shitlins. And, and this was the shoot rib on, on big show. It has to be. No, this was, this became a shoot rib on me. Why? Do you have to clean I that shit? To, huh? Did you have to clean the shit? How's it a rib on you? Well, while they were cleaning the shit. 
they're worried about something else, and one of the shit-cleaning hoses came out with scalding water and came flying out of the truck and just split my head wide open, and, yeah, it was wonderful. But so wait, the now, shit, the shit truck cut your forehead. Yeah. The hose that was cleaning the shit truck came loose with scalding hot water and like, bam, bamo zamo across the head. I was a little pissed off. It sounds like you were shit upon. No, I didn't get no shit on me, but Cause it was the clean hose. It was the cleaner hose, but it fucking fucked my head up. So anyway, now you get to the, to the shit part. And so the clean, all the shitty shit out of the shit truck. Right. And then you put clean shit in the shitty shit truck. Right. So it was like mud and just all kinds of other thing. And then various, uh, sorted food particles and things like that. Then. It's like, well, it's got to smell like poo poo. So put a couple of uh, smell additives into it, and uh, you have the illusion of stinky poo poo. Which I remember thinking, you know, if I'm in the front row, yeah. Right, but it's completely non toxic. It's one hundred percent safe. It's just. It looks like it, and, it, and it's going to smell like it now. I said, well, that's my point. Looks like shit, smells like shit, must be shit. I don't care. You're not going to convince me otherwise that the shit, brown shit that smells like shit, isn't shit. Help me understand, though. Is this a Vince idea? We know that he likes toilet humor. Is it? Goddamn, pal. What if we well, shot him with shit? It may be my good, close, personal, dear friend, uh, Brian Gewertz's idea. Shout out to Brian in, uh, Australia right now. Um, but no, it, it might've been my idea too, because we were, we were trying to relive the, the beer truck, beer truck and the milk truck and all that shit. To and somebody said, what the if there truck. was a shit truck? So, oh, yeah. great. Get big show. And I started thinking, you know, Hey, yeah, if we got like one of those honey dippers and did it that way, but yeah, Kaka's funny. How does big show take this news that you're going to shoot him with shit? I initially not too happy. He, he warmed up to the shit though. Once he got shit upon, it was warm, but he came around on you shitting on him. Yeah. I just feel, I just can't imagine being in creative and having to sit down and tell a giant. All right. So here's what we're going to do. Big boy. Giants are friendly. It happens. Scale of one to 10. How much did Vince enjoy the segment? 14. That's what I thought. Man, Christmas is going to be here before you know it. And unfortunately, that's going to be extra stress this year with lots of added expenses. Of course, you got to do your holiday shopping, but there's probably going to be some travel involved. Uh, it's just been a tough year, but I want to make this the best Christmas ever. And listen, you may have tried to do this in the past, but what you wound up with was a big credit card bill and a new year's resolution to get out of debt and actually start saving money. Why do we wait until next year to do that? Here's a pro tip for you. 
Don't put Christmas on a credit card. Go to savewithconrad.com right now. We're going to show you how to skip your single biggest bill for the next two months. If you haven't already, you don't have to make your November or your December payment. You're done until next year. And next year, of course, you're going to start the new year with no, you hear me? No credit card debt. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners get rid of all their credit card debt, but take advantage of these great rates while we've still got them. You can pay your house off faster and do it with cheaper monthly payments, but maybe best of all, get the cash you need just in time for the holidays. Don't start 2021 off on the wrong foot where you feel like you're digging yourself out of a hole. Historically, most American families dig themselves into credit card debt that it takes months to dig out of all from Christmas shopping. Don't do that. There's a better way. Skip your next two house payments, get a better interest rate, lower your monthly payments and get rid of your credit card debt. Just like that at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084 equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this? Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. Four days later, Los Guerreros lose the tag titles to the Basham brothers. They start a feud with them and they fail to regain the titles at survivor series. And that develops a little bit of animosity. The relationship starts to go downhill. Eventually Chavo attacks and turns on Eddie after he suffers a beating at the hands of the Basham brothers. So now we've got uh, a bit of a feud that's going to involve, uh, well, Chavo junior is going to be joined by his father, AKA Eddie's brother. Chavo senior, who we're going to learn to call Chavo classic, which is just great stuff. What can you tell us about Chavo senior and their feud? Uh, of course, Eddie gets the win at Royal rumble, I guess, to settle the feud, but Chavo classic, this is good stuff. Well, it was, and I Chavo classic is really the first Guerrero I ever knew. Then, then Hector and then Mondo and then Eddie. Um, so Chavo and my brother were very tight. Uh, I was, I ran with Chavo classic for many years. Um, I remember pitching Eddie and saying, man, what's your brother doing? And he says, oh, man, he's in great shape. He's working Mexico. He's working, uh, Japan. He's like, fuck, he's still working? And it's like, yeah, he's doing shit. He was in San Antonio. And threw out this crazy idea. And, and Chavo Classic did not did not leave the first time he was in WWE on the best of terms. And it was an opportunity for him to make amends as well. So... <laughs> Enter Chavo Classic. He was fucking great because it was it was the real life um, father son dynamic with Chavito, and it was the real life big brother uh, with Eddie, and then you also saw that dynamic of the roles reverse. Where now Eddie's the megastar kind of overshadowing Chavo classic. So it was some very interesting times, but they are probably some of the most, uh, fun times that, that I ever had as far as working with these guys. Cause I loved all three of them 
and they're just a blast. What can you tell me about, you know, I mean, I like the whole Los Guerrero story, but they only have one match on pay-per-view. Like it feels like to me, you could have really stretched out this Chavo anything, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think we did. I mean, we did, it was, it went a long time on television and with Chavo classic and all that shit intertwined into everything. Chris Benoit jumps to the raw brand after he wins the Royal rumble match. He's going to use his title shot to go for triple H's world heavyweight championship. And then Eddie wins a 15 man Royal rumble match on January 29th on SmackDown to earn a shot at the WWE championship. So after becoming number one contender. Eddie elevates himself to main event status and starts feuding with the WWE champ, Brock Lesnar, famously at no way out. And we did a whole episode on this show. It's tremendous. And I can't recommend it enough in our archives over at something Eddie pins the world champion, Brock Lesnar to win the title in 30 minutes and five seconds with a frog splash after reversing an attempt at the F five into a tornado DDT onto the title belt later in the match, we should mention. Lesnar was trying to use the title belt as a weapon while the ref was knocked out. But Bill Goldberg, who was arrested earlier in the same show, came out and hit the spear on the champ. After the match, Guerrero celebrating in the crowd. He's congratulated by his mother and brother. Uh, the, the victory makes him a triple crown and grand slam champion in the process. It's episode 142. If you want to go out of your way to check it out, but man, you described this moment as being a top one or two moment for wrestling. When Eddie won his first world title, you're not even talking about from a office perspective. This is the fan Bruce Pritchard, right? Yeah, because it was the, the absolute premier, uh, underdog victory, defeating the big bad monster and Brock Lesnar and, you know, Eddie Guerrero overcoming everything. In addition to that, you look at the human being of Eddie Guerrero and what Eddie had accomplished in his career and in his life, the struggles that Eddie had throughout everything to now be the man. Not only that, but to be able to perform at the level that Eddie was able to perform and and kill it every night. So I was proud of him. I loved him to death. And just so happy for him. Let's, uh, let's recommend everybody strongly go back and check that out. When the first, when the, the subject first comes up, you know, I do want to briefly touch on this. When is the decision made or what all goes into the decision to put the belt on Eddie? It, does Vince know, Hey, Brock's leaving. We got to use this to make somebody else. Eddie has excelled in every segment we've put him in, whether it was with China working underneath, working with the tag stuff, the stuff with Cena, he's been a show stealer Chavo on and on. Um, why is Eddie the logical choice and, and is the decision made in hindsight? Does Eddie benefit the most from Brock Lesnar leaving? I think that Eddie did. And it was from a place of looking at who's going to be the next, you know, the next guy who, who are we going to focus on to take us to another level, hopefully at this point. And Kurt was discussed, you know, all these different things, but we had never had 
a champion like Eddie Guerrero. And Eddie was over. Eddie was um, he was primed for the picking. And Eddie was, when you looked at the roster, probably the least probable to be the champion, but also the only real logical choice that you would uh, choose to be the champion. So he had it all, and I think a lot of people felt that it was a bad decision, felt Eddie was too small, and the fact that he was Mexican, and all these things where it's like, ah, you know, he's a little guy, and he, I don't know. There, there was just opposition, but in the end, I remember thinking, man, if he's the guy. He, he was just the guy at that time. And I think Eddie needed that title. All of a sudden, Andy Guerrero is our WWE champion. And believe it or not, his first title defense is going to be a big one. WrestleMania 20 in Madison square garden against Kurt angle. Uh, it marked the start of his next feud. Of course, uh, the match at Kurt, uh, that Kurt angle and Eddie Guerrero had is just really remarkable. Um, genius. It really is a fantastic match and the storytelling with the boot slipping off at the end. I mean, it's gotta be near the top of, I mean, Eddie, certainly it's been his biggest WrestleMania moment. Go back and watch the match. If you haven't already, it's pretty remarkable. You know, Eddie, once again, he's famous in this era for fooling people. Right. And so he's going to start to frantically take off his boot right after an ankle lock escape. And angle sees this as his opportunity. Oh, he must be really hurting with that ankle. Let me go finish him off. Goes to twist it. Boom. Slips out inside cradle. Pretty remarkable. And then of course, at the end of the show, we get the spectacle that so many people remember about WrestleMania 20, Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero embracing both as world champions who were told they were never, ever going to be at this spot. And now here they are in Madison square garden at the biggest show ever WrestleMania 20. This is peak Eddie, right? Yeah, because they were 0-3 coming in, man. Well, I mean, that it, we all know that uh, this was part of your evil plan when you first you know, asked him to go dislocate his arm on his first night in and then forced yeah. him to work hurt. You knew that if he could persevere and you could fire him and then hire him back and have China beat him at WrestleMania, eventually, once he got over the rest of his family, he could win the world title once Brock Lesnar quit. And he would have main event WrestleMania 20. And that was your plan all along. Yeah. But is, is people out on the West coast and your dirt sheet people would like to say, I think I will steal a line from your good friend, Jim Hurd, who summed it up that they just dream shit and lie. By the way, you're mentioning my good friend, Jim Hurd, because you saw the interview that we did over did, at adfreeshows.com. what do you think? I, th I thought it was tremendous. And I think that for anybody that they should, uh, listen to it. And, you know, again, my takeaway, as I said to you, it's funny when you talk to people who were actually there and in the business decisions and not just hearsay and rumor and innuendo and bullshit, it's pretty much the same things that come out, uh, as far as how business was done and what was conducted and not always how it was reported because uh, the reporters, God, I don't even think I can call them. The dreamers and liars, as Jim Hurd put it, that just they make shit up, dream it, and convince themselves that 
that their lie is uh, what it is. So I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the Jim Hurd uh, ad-free shows. That, that was fucking excellent. Thank you, sir. Let's talk about the March 22nd edition of Raw. There's a draft lottery held. Because of that, you've got stars from both shows here. It's kind of cool at the time. Uh, Triple H is in full-blown reign of terror mode. He just dropped the belt to Benoit. So everybody thinks that uh, Eddie Guerrero, when he has a match with Triple H, that Triple H is going to win. But in fact, Eddie wins by DQ. And then a, a big brawl erupts between both brands. In March, Eddie starts a feud with a fellow Texan guy by the name of John Bradshaw Layfield. Uh, JBL has interrupted Guerrero's title match with Booker T and the rivalry turns personal when, uh, at a famous non-televised live event on May 2nd in El Paso, JBL causes Eddie's mother to suffer a kayfabe heart attack while in attendance at ringside. But Eddie's mom looks like she's having a heart attack because, well, she nearly was. And we've told the story before in our archives, but it's worth telling again now here, Bruce. Well, we went down, uh, to El Paso on mother's day, um, where the Guerreros were from Eddie and I had Chico's tacos that day. And if you're ever in El Paso, check out Chico's tacos. As you say, the the whole thing was Eddie gives his mom, uh, they recognize Eddie's mom with a beautiful mother's day bouquet. Then the next thing that you know is, um, Bradshaw's there to spoil it. And John ends up the mother like went to hit John or something like that. And John touched her, but just like literally touched her arm. And she was to appear as though she were having a heart attack. And lo and behold, um, she got so excited in the moment that she pretty much had symptoms of a heart attack and her real life doctor was there because we were going to use him as the doctor in, in this whole thing. Um, I thought Eddie was going to kill me, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, Eddie in, in the back, just, you know, he loves his mom so much and, and he was so protective of her. But then Chavo Classic was there, and Chavito and Chavo Classic is like, oh, hey, man, we should, like, we should, like, get some on mom and, you know, like, let John put the boost to her, man. Nobody's touching my mother. It's like, nah, man, she's, she's tough, man. She got this. So Chavo Sr. and Eddie are going at it. It was a wonderful evening. But we got Bradshaw out of there as soon as that angle was done because there was a, a pretty upset crowd. And John got out of there with the help of the Texas state troopers, uh, highway patrol got him out of town. Go do not pass. Go do not collect $200. Just go in your wrestling gear. The fuck out of town. Judgment day, which we've covered before in the archives is such a monumental show. Guerrero defends his WWE title against JBL. Uh, retaining the title after getting himself disqualified, but that's not the story. The match saw Guerrero bleed so much. I mean, it looks like, I mean, it looks like he hit a fucking artery and after the match concludes, he goes backstage and, and supposedly passed out, goes into shock. 
we've talked about this before, but it's worth touching on again. This, this went from, Hey, this was an incredible match and what a story to, Oh no, we've got a real life medical event here. Yeah, it was kind of scary, man. Eddie came back and I remember the trail of blood just all the way back to the uh, trainer's room and Eddie was getting checked out by the doctor and they were like, you've lost a lot of blood. We need to get you in and get staples or stitches or something, but we've got to get you to the hospital. And I think with the amount of blood that Eddie had lost, he was kind of giving in on it. And the doctor started to prepare him to get in the ambulance and go to the hospital with IVs and different things. And Eddie just out of, out of at some point realizes that he's got all these IVs sticking in him and freaks out in the trainer's room, rips out the IVs and, and pushes everybody away and storms out. And I'm standing there for a minute and it just the only two people that went to go confront Eddie was uh, myself and Michael Hayes. And this is a sick business sometimes and what you find humor in. But as Michael and I are uh, going down to talk to Eddie and Eddie's down the way and, and I'm trailing behind Michael Hayes and I just start to laugh and he turns and says, what are you laughing at? I said, well, First of all, look at this trail of blood that you and I are following, and, and a free bird and brother love are now trying to chase <laughs> down Eddie Guerrero uh, to get him to go back and get his head stitched up and go to the hospital. And it just was funny in the moment. Um, and I'm running back and forth, and I remember that uh, X-Pac was there talking to Hunter. It was one of the first times that they had been together in many years, and um I think X-Pac asked Hunter, he says, what's going on there, man? He goes, uh, Bruce and Michael are running back and forth. And he goes, I don't know. It must be important, though, because they're fucking running. Well, at least they're moving faster than normal. Um, but that's where, you know, I went in, talked to Eddie, and Eddie was afraid to go to the hospital. And I think part of his fear was that they would give him medication and he didn't want to take the medication. He didn't want to be in a position to be dependent again. Didn't want to get anything that he may like uh, that he would want to be dependent on again. But like a, like a small child, he looked at me and he said, will you go to the hospital with me? And I said, of course I will, Eddie. But I need you to go down and let them do their job first. Because you'll get in and get taken care of a lot quicker if you go in the ambulance. Okay. And he was just like a little kid. So we're trying to get him cleaned up and we'll get him down, get him back. And then Eddie says, he goes, Hey Bruce, man, I'm really sorry. Would you mind if Chavito went with me instead? I said, whatever you want, I'll make it happen. And so, uh, we had Chavo go with him in the ambulance and I took all of Eddie's stuff and, went back to uh, our hotel and got Eddie in an adjacent room with me, put all his shit up in his room and then ordered him food so that when he came home and uh, kept the door open just to make sure, but I stayed up till four o'clock or whatever it was waiting for Eddie to get back with Chavo and, and basically put him to bed and make sure he called Vicky and, and let her know that he was okay. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a hell of a night. 
it's uh it's a big deal and uh the real life event impacted uh the following episode of smackdown uh, teaming alongside Rey Mysterio and Rob Van Dam against the trio of the Dudleys and JBL, Guerrero passed out mid-match. Unlike at the pay-per-view, this was part of the story, and some fans complained online that it was in poor taste. Your response? Fuck you. At the Great American Bash, Eddie defended the title against JBL in a Texas bull rope match. JBL wins after Angle reverses the decision. I should mention Angle is the general manager of SmackDown at the time. After Guerrero appeared to have retained the title, um, rumor and innuendo was Guerrero felt he was shouldering the burden of low pay-per-view buys on SmackDown events at the time and asked Vince to have the title taken off of him. Do you remember this, that Eddie may have felt the pressure that for whatever reason, the buys weren't there for the pay-per-views and he took it personally and couldn't really deal with the pressure and because he was in recovery, maybe that's not a great spot for somebody like that to be. I think that he was feeling the pressure, but also at the same time, we were looking to get, uh, the new character JBL over. It was, you know, it was a perfect storm in that regard. And Eddie felt that John needed the championship much more than he did. And also took it as a challenge to, I'll get him over, but you know, business wasn't terrible at that time. So it wasn't look, yeah, that's one of those hindsight 2020 people speculate and, and say these things being there, this was a born out of, I really want to get Layfield over how, how do we do it? No one would call that. Nobody was going to call that Layfield would beat Eddie and Eddie's like, yeah, he should. He needs it more than I do. We, uh, we know what's coming next for him. You know, first, I guess we should mention that they've got some, some, some fun stuff along the way, including skits with JBL on SmackDown. JBL's going to wrestle El Gran Luchador to a no contest after El Gran slid underneath the ring. A second Luchador comes out and obviously masked Eddie Guerrero. Uh, Bradshaw was knocked out of the ring and after the match, El Grand cuts a promo on Bradshaw, uh, defending the title against Eddie the following week in a, in a steel cage is the new thing. And in this match, uh, July 15th, Eddie hits a, a frog splash off the top of the cage. Uh, but again, El Grand Luchador appears and this time costs Guerrero the match. And he later reveals himself as Kurt angle. So now Guerrero has a feud with Kurt angle. This was good stuff. It, first of all, you get the great visual of, of him coming off the cage, but then he's programmed with angle again. And they've been going round and round for ever, including WrestleMania. They were natural. And the fact that there was a little bit of a rivalry there in real life too, helped their matches and their believability, but they matched up size. Why matched up intensity wise and never disappointed at SummerSlam Guerrero loses to angle submitting to the ankle lock. Uh, and they're even going to have, um, some fallout there that leads to a new feud because angle has allied himself with Luther Reigns and Mark Jindrak, and he starts targeting Eddie Guerrero and big show. So Guerrero defeats Luther Reigns at a singles match at no mercy, which is probably a highlight for Eddie. I'm sure Luther Reigns at no mercies on his best of tape. And around the same time is when, and you've talked about it before, Eddie has this backstage fight with Kurt angle. 
I think a lumberjack match happened and Eddie in retrospect may have been having heart problems according to Kurt Angle, but Eddie's body just couldn't perform the right way. And the next week, another situation happened where Luther Reigns and Mark Jindrak, who were with Kurt Angle at the time, stiffed Eddie. And afterwards in the back, Eddie comments on Angle and crew taking advantage of him. Angle shoves him twice while going off on him for having bad matches. Eddie goes for a takedown. Of course, that's not wise. Eddie uh, is caught in a front face lock by Kurt Angle and starts to choke him out before Big Show steps in and stops it. Did you see this? Or, I mean, you told us the story before, but I don't recall if you were in the hall or just heard about it after the fact. No, I heard about it after the fact. And it was, you know, Bradshaw and I both asked him the same question. It's like, Eddie, what, what were you thinking trying to uh, shoot the leg on an Olympic gold medalist? I don't know, man. I'm just stupid. <laughs> and Eddie, you know, realizing what one of the brightest moves and kind of embarrassed just in and of himself. But he was frustrated. He was very, very frustrated during this time. And look, it's temper and shit happens. A Survivor Series elimination match is going to go down, led by Guerrero on one side, Angle on the other. Eddie's team is Big Show, John Cena, and Rob Van Dam. Originally, it was Rey Mysterio instead of John Cena. Uh, on on the other side, it's uh, Kurt Angle's team. And, uh, yeah. Let's talk about Armageddon. We got Booker T and The Undertaker challenging JBL for WWE's championship. It's a fatal four-way where Eddie Guerrero is also involved. The match ends with JBL pinning Booker following the clothesline from hell. And in the weeks that followed Guerrero and Booker briefly and unsuccessfully try to win the tag team title in this era. Does you just think, man, we can throw Eddie in with anybody and it'll work. He's had such a wide group of tag partners here, but seemingly it worked every time. Yes, it did. And that's why I think that, I think that Eddie was able to be a chameleon and adapt to any and everything. One of the more interesting moments from the following Royal rumble was there's a skit with uh Ric Flair drawing numbers. And Guerrero switches his number with flares and he even steals flares wallet in the process. Uh, of course, eventually Teddy long makes him return both items before the match, but it's kind of fun because flair had drawn the number 30 and Eddie had drawn the number one. So, you know, we're going to lie, cheat and steal. That's pretty good stuff. Eddie did last 28 minutes and 11 seconds before being eliminated by edge. But that little skit is right on character for Eddie Guerrero here. Is it not? And flair. Yeah. <laughs> when you think about it, you get the light cheating and steal of, of Eddie and the confidence and bombastic uh, flair. So I thought it was perfect. At no way out the next month, Eddie Guerrero would team up with his longtime friend and sometimes rival Ray Mysterio and defeat the Basham brothers to win what would actually be Eddie's last title in the company, uh, WWE's tag team championship. It's his fourth time as champion. It's Ray's third time as tag champion. And many expect the new champions to defend their title at WrestleMania 21. But after encouragement from Chavo Guerrero challenges Mysterio to a one-on-one -on -one match instead, so they can bring the house down and the two wrestle at WrestleMania and uh, Mysterio gets the win. Although visibly frustrated Guerrero congratulates his partner. And this is all part of a long-term story here with Eddie and Ray. Did you already have the end in mind? when you built toward WrestleMania or did that just happen along the way? Kind of happened along the way. 
you know, as you, as you get into it, the next thing was the family being involved and, and that next level. But at this point, it was like, hey, we can get three out of this. Uh, the WrestleMania goes to Hollywood event that year. Saw a bunch of spoofs of blockbuster movies. And one of them was Pulp Fiction, where we had Eddie Guerrero and Booker T playing the roles of John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson's characters. Were you involved in any of those shoots or did you guys use an outside production staff for that? No, those, those were all our, our people. I didn't do those, but that was like Chris chambers and those guys putting all that together. After a bunch of mishaps in the following weeks, uh, after WrestleMania, there's tension really growing between Eddie and Ray Mysterio. Finally, it erupts once they lose the tag belts on the April 21st episode of SmackDown to Eminem and Guerrero abandons Mysterio who he had considered his family earlier in the show and costed them the match at the end of the May 5th episode of SmackDown. He saves Mysterio from an attack by uh, attack by Chavo and Eminem. Uh, before attacking Mysterio himself, leaving him bruised and bloody, suplexing him into a set of uh, steel steps and turning heel in the process. So now Guerrero is adopting a new, more brooding look and menacing approach towards wrestling. Gone is this dancing and lovable Latino heat style character. He's also going to stop driving the lowriders down to the ring. Uh, he really is re trying to reinvent himself. This is his really. Uh, last attempt at being a heel, I guess, because every other time you've tried it, it just didn't work. So I guess you knew here, if you're going to do it, you've got to change everything. And he really tries, right? Well, you change everything. And it also helps when your opponent is as lovable as Ray Mysterio. That's correct. So that, that was easy too. There was a very strong, uh, opponent that the audience loved in Ray. So for Eddie to be petty with Ray, I think it helped tremendously. At judgment day, Eddie would lose to Mysterio by DQ after hitting Mysterio with a chair. And on the June 30th episode of SmackDown, Eddie threatens to reveal a secret about Mysterio and his son, Dominic. The storyline grew to involve the families of both men with both sides, pleading for Guerrero. Please don't reveal the secret. And eventually Mysterio defeats Guerrero at great American bash. And it's a match where there's a stipulation that if Guerrero loses, he would not tell the secret, but of course, Eddie being a heel told the secret anyway, on the very next episode of SmackDown telling Dominic and the audience that Guerrero was his father, or more specifically, I'm your poppy. Poppy. Uh, how did Eddie feel about this angle? Well, look, man, it was, a, uh, it was time Eddie's autobiography had come out and Eddie talked about there was a period where he and Vicky were separated and that Eddie had a child out of wedlock. Eddie didn't give any details on that relationship or that child. So you go back and you, you look at a timeline and, and you threw it since there wasn't a specific, specific timeline in there. We created our own and said, what if, that child that Eddie spoke of in his book was Dominic. What if that relationship that Eddie had for a very brief time was Ray Mysterio's wife? And what if Eddie just went ahead and let, because again, Eddie didn't talk about, uh, the child that much in the book other than it was there. And people would ask questions. 
But what if Ray was raising that child as his own and that they wanted to keep that secret and, and that uh, everyone was forgiven and so on and so forth. But, but now after Ray trying to embarrass Eddie by beating him, that Eddie felt it was the right time to bring it out. Yeah, this, uh, the story, I guess, is um, after he had this marriage out of wedlock, when his marriage was on the rock, so to speak, he claimed to allow Ray and his wife, who were having trouble conceiving, to adopt the child as their own. And wouldn't you know it, we got a custody of Dominic ladder match now at SummerSlam. And yes, this is Fucking the. A. This is, I want to put Dominic on a pole. My goodness. Absolutely, positively, I defy you to tell me different. One of the greatest stories we've ever told. Well, it's still paying dividends today on current programming. By the way, go out of your way to watch that SummerSlam or listen to that SummerSlam episode. We did a whole episode on it. Uh, There's some fun moments in the match. Uh, I guess we should mention that uh, Eddie finishes up the program with Mysterio and he's declared Dominic's poppy. And then, uh, Eddie wins the cage match on the debut of Friday night SmackDown. And Eddie's got a new version of his theme song that night too, uh, titled Kraken or gangsta lean. Basically it's the same song, but without the lie, cheat and steal lyrics, they've been replaced by rap lyrics. Uh, we're trying to, uh, really overhaul his presentation the following week, Teddy long and Palmer cannon, who are the network executives announced a new number one contender for Batista's world championship. And Teddy Long acts like he's about to announce Rey Mysterio, but Palmer steals the mic and announces Eddie Guerrero. And Eddie does a promo about how he's got a past and he had addictions, but he's found the new addiction, honor, respect, and doing the right thing. And he's a new Eddie Guerrero, and he wants to prove at no mercy that he and Batista can have a match and not hate each other. Eddie's facials here are phenomenal. Of course, the fans don't believe him. This was great stuff, was it not? It was because Eddie and Batista were friends and it was the feeling and the execution was, I believe Eddie lured the audience in so much that they thought, you know what? Maybe they, maybe he's going to do it this time. Maybe Eddie has turned over a new leaf because, because we love our Eddie Guerrero. And then when you get to know mercy, by the time we got there, the audience was really unsure whether they had a babyface Eddie Guerrero or a heel Eddie Guerrero. Uh, I remember sitting in the crowd when the ring announcements, we did championship ring announcements, and I'm just sitting right literally in the middle of the hard camera section, people all around me. They announced, you know, this match for the World Heavyweight Championship and one of the guys behind me said, goes, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that that little guy there was the heavyweight champion? And the guy, the guy, his friend sitting with him, he says, hey, man, that little guy, if this were real, would kill that big guy and beat his fucking ass. That's how much people believed in Eddie Guerrero. They if you knew him and his personality and you were invested in the character, he was 20 feet tall, 400 pounds. 
Well, no mercy, 2005, we know Eddie's going to face Batista, but we've got some storytelling on the way there. One of which is pretty ridiculous. Uh, Eddie's supposed to team with Batista against Eminem, but Eddie's faking sick. At least that's the implication. So Batista brings in a doctor to make sure that his pal Eddie is okay. And the doctor gives him a rectal probe without lubricant. So later in the match, when Eddie is proven to be well, and he can work, uh, Eddie, uh, hits a frog splash, but then sells his sphincter as he's celebrating with a very confused Batista. Boy, this has Vince McMahon humor all over it. What if he got it shoved up his ass with no lube? Well, that happens. <laughs> There's some fun stuff along the way. Eddie's trying to convince everyone he's not this bad person. And uh, he's doing the old switcheroo with chairs and Batista can't trust him, but he's even wearing a Batista t-shirt. We finally get to no mercy. It's a really good match that goes 18 minutes and 40 seconds. Ultimately, Batista wins with that spine buster. Meltzer liked it, gave it three and a quarter stars and the two shake hands. But as they go off the air, you still get the, the look in Eddie's eye that he might turn. We just did a whole episode on this. Check it out. No mercy. 2005. He wrestles his last match on November 11th. Uh, he defeats Mr. Kennedy by disqualification using his signature lie, cheat and steal tactics which allowed him to advance to the SmackDown survivors team. And according to the rumor and innuendo on the date of his death, a triple threat match between himself, Batista and Randy Orton was supposed to take place for the world heavyweight championship where Batista would have dropped the title to Eddie Guerrero, um, because Batista needed to take some time off for an injured back. And I think that was denied by Batista in his book. What do you remember? Uh, had he not passed away, would, would Eddie had another title run here? Well, he wouldn't have had it that night. No, that's, that's a falsehood. So, well, it's unfortunate, but, uh, Eddie is found unconscious in his hotel room at the Marriott hotel, uh, city center in Minneapolis, Minnesota by his nephew Chavo on November 13th, 2005. In a 2020 interview for a documentary, Chavo explained that Eddie passed out in the hotel bathroom with a toothbrush in his hand, and he was barely clinging to life when Chavo discovered him. Uh, Eddie was pronounced dead upon arrival by the paramount uh, par by the paramedics at the scene. He's only 38 years old and an autopsy would later reveal that Eddie's cause of death, uh, is blamed on a result of acute heart failure due, due to underlying uh, cardiovascular disease. Uh, he is, um, at the green acres, Memorial park cemetery in Scottsdale, Arizona. His funeral service was officiated, uh, officiated by superstar, Billy Graham. And, uh, this was a, this was a tough one for you personally, because you were talking to Eddie, like every day in this era. And I know you've told us the story before on the radicals, but this had to hit you like a ton of bricks when you find out you've lost one of your best friends out of nowhere. It did, you know, the, um, I, I was at the building and one of the techs, audio tech from pre-tapes came up to me and I just got into the building and sat down and catering was going to get something to eat. And, um, he says, Hey Bruce, there's a terrible rumor going around that 
I think you should should nip in the bud and and at least find out what the hell's going on. So what's that? He said, goes, well, he goes, people are saying that uh, Eddie was found dead in his hotel room. I said, Eddie who? It's a Guerrero. Well, fucking fix that right now. And I grabbed my phone. I called Eddie. Didn't answer the phone. And I left him a message. Turned to Prof and I said, hey, I said, yeah, I just called him. Um, I said, I'm sure he's probably in the shower right now or something like that. But, uh, and as I'm saying that the phone rang back and it was Eddie Guerrero and on the other, uh, the other side was Chavo Chavito Chavo jr. And Chavo said, uh, Hey Bruce Chavito, he's gone, bro. And I just started crying. Asked what happened. Nobody knew at that point. And uh, but that's that's what happened. Just absolutely sucked. And when Vince and Steph and Paul and everybody got got to the building. Um, we met in Vince's office. Vince had asked Chavo, you know, what, what he wanted to do. And Chavo said Eddie would want the show to go on. And, uh, I think in, in, in a lot of the loss that we've had, unfortunately, The, the Eddie loss hit me really hard. We had just been, I don't know, not long before that we'd been at Bradshaw's wedding and, uh, we'd spent a week together down in the keys and, and it, it just, yeah, it was tough. It sucked. I mean, I, there's no other way to say it. It, it was a loss of, of an incredible talent, but more importantly, an incredible friend and human being and father and husband and just, just sad. The episodes of raw November 14th, 2005 and SmackDown November 18th, 2005, both of which were filmed on November 13th aired as tributes to Eddie Guerrero. All the storylines were put on hold and no WWE employees were forced to perform. Although several matches did take place and including one featuring Chavo who uh, finished the match with his uncle's finishing maneuver, the frog splash Raw started with all the wrestlers and numerous backstage personnel on stage as Vince McMahon addressed the live crowd before finishing with a 10 bell salute followed by Vince saying Viva La Raza in his most passionate voice. In addition to Raw and SmackDown doing tribute shows, TNA's Total Nonstop Wrestling dedicated their pay-per-view Genesis, which aired on the evening of his death to Eddie Guerrero. 
ring of honor named their next show uh, night of tribute ohio valley also paid tribute to him many of the wrestlers wore armbands with eg on them ray mysterio gave an emotional speech about eddie and in a show of respect removed his mask and mysterio went on to defeat Shawn michaels in an interpromotional match later that night after the match michaels and uh, mysterio hugged in the ring and mysterio pointed up to the sky crying in memory of guerrero and eventually other wrestlers, primarily Chavo, Mysterio, and, and Christian paid tribute to him in their matches using the frog splash. Uh, Combat Zone Wrestling also paid tribute. They did a little 10 bell salute and, um, wrestlers like CM Punk and Ray Mysterio have dedicated some of their matches to Guerrero. Three Doors Down, uh, had a song here without you that was used as a tribute song for Guerrero, as well as Johnny Cash's hurt video. That Johnny Cash video with, uh, the, the hurt song over clips of Eddie was just maybe one of the more haunting video packages in company history. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Um, live that night was very difficult and, um, being home on that Friday night. I remember it like it was yesterday because we were going to do family portraits and we're supposed to be there seven 30 or something like that. And SmackDown came on and that was the first thing on SmackDown and I, I couldn't move. I just, I couldn't move and I just stood there staring at the TV and watching the tribute and, uh, probably wasn't a good idea. Uh, but yeah, he, he was gone and, and left a gigantic hole. Ray Mysterio is going to dedicate a lot of what's coming for him to Eddie Guerrero. Uh, he's a second entrant in the 06 Royal rumble. He winds up winning last eliminating Randy Orton and, uh, they're on a collision course now. Um, Orton is urging him to put this title shot at stake in a match at no way out. So of course, as you know, the winner of the Royal rumble gets a world title shot at WrestleMania. So they build up a match between the two last guys who were in the ring at the Royal rumble, which is natural. But one of the ways they tried to sell the pay-per-view here is in February of 06, as Randy's cutting a promo about Eddie Guerrero being sort of the inspiration for Ray Mysterio and Ray keeps pointing to the sky and things like that. I can't believe this happened, but Randy Orton said, Eddie ain't in heaven. Eddie's down there in hell. Mysterio flips out, beats him up. The referees are pulling him off, but goodness gracious. You guys took a lot of heat at the time. I didn't know Eddie Guerrero. You did in hindsight. Do you wish you had this one back? Or do you think Eddie would have liked to have still been a part of the storyline? Cause that feels like that's what people say when they're used posthumously in an angle like this. I believe Eddie would have loved it. And I think that Eddie definitely would have had no problem with it whatsoever. As a matter of fact, if there was a spirit and I could see Eddie insisting on it type thing. So, and that's my feeling from my relationship with Eddie Guerrero. And unless you've spent as many nights as I have, uh, speaking to him and just getting him, in a good place in his head, um, keeping him 
as much as we could in the straight and narrow, then you don't know and you can't and you can't make that judgment. So um, Vicky was cool with it and no one knew him better than his family. So I feel that that it was that it was the right thing and it was it was something that Eddie would have would have wanted. I really believe that. Orton winds up beating Ray at no way out. If you can believe that or not, but eventually the general manager, Teddy long would add Ray Mysterio back into this WrestleMania title match. So now it's a three way it's Orton Mysterio and then champion Kurt angle. The night before WrestleMania, of course, was the hall of fame and Eddie Guerrero goes into the hall of fame here along with Bret Hart, mean gene, uh, sensational Sherry, Vern Gagne and others. Eddie's inducted by Chavo Guerrero, Chris Benoit, and Ray Mysterio. Eddie's uh, widow, Vicky, and her two daughters uh, represent Eddie in receiving the honor. It's a very emotional moment for everyone involved. And the next night at WrestleMania, it's another feel-good moment. Mysterio beats Orton to become the new world heavyweight champion. And after the match, Mysterio is celebrating with Chavo and Vicky Guerrero. Really a feel-good moment here. Was this in the plans since the rumble? Do you think the Mysterio title win? Since the rumble. Yes. Talked about, I don't know that Vince was completely sold on it right till February, but from a talking point and doing it. Yes. Eddie's, Eddie's legacy lives on a lot more than just Ray dedicating matches to him. It wouldn't be too long before his uh, longtime wife and now unfortunate widow, Vicky became a very prominent character on TV in 06, I guess maybe seven or eight months after Eddie's death, she becomes a pretty prominent feature in some pretty controversial storylines. Hmm. Um, well, how do you think Eddie would have felt about that? He had to be proud. I mean, I, she was not necessarily a, a trained professional. She was not a Hollywood actress, but man, did anybody excel at their role better than she did here? He would have been thrilled with this, right? Oh my God. Vicky was absolutely incredible. And I think Eddie would have been extremely proud and very happy that she was to continue on the name and the legacy of Eddie Guerrero and not just, uh, for him, for her and for the kids. So I, I guarantee you, Eddie would have been ecstatic. She's going to be a topic uh, all on her own. Eventually the storylines and references to Eddie would drift away sometime in 2007. And, and she was off to the races. What do you think? Um, what do you think Eddie's legacy will be in pro wrestling? Latino heat and being the guy that crossed over. Um, so many ways, Eddie, Eddie made it for the smaller talent in the business, as well as Hispanic talent in the business to say that, Hey man, there is no ceiling. And if you've got the talent, the drive and the desire that you can do it too. So, um, yeah, he was a friend, hell of a performer. And one of those guys that will be missed and talked about for decades. 
David McClay on Twitter wants to know what's the best non WWE or WCW match of Eddie that I should check out. Bruce, do you have a recommendation for either a WWE or a non WWE match? Well, I thought you said other than I was going to say his triple a stuff with uh, Los Gringos Locos, but to me, the bull rope match that we did was, was a lot of fun with JBL the great American bash. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that there's going to be a lot here that we can recommend that weren't really, really good. Um, deplorable hombre says if Eddie Guerrero were alive today, he would be two years younger than the undertaker. If his heart were healthy, how long and far do you think Eddie would have gone in professional wrestling? And what do you think he would be doing today? I think that, uh, Eddie would probably be a producer backstage and be contributing with the, the knowledge that's in his head. Uh, James wants to know besides HBK, what one wrestler do you wish he had a program with? Well, HBK would have been my answer. Damn it. Is there another um, one though? I mean, I think everybody agrees that would have just been one for the ages. I mean, can you imagine if he could have hung around till AJ styles was a thing that would have been unreal. Oh my God. There's another one. Uh, Michael says, this is a hard question to ask, but had Eddie not passed away, would things have been different? Do you think with Chris Benoit, allegedly that had a huge impact on him. That's hard to even imagine. Yeah. Is it not Bruce? Yeah. I have, I have no idea. One, one Can't bad on that one, one bad piece of news after another, uh, Rob wants to know, was the hug between Eddie and Chris Benoit after WrestleMania planned, or was it just a heat of the moment deal? It's real life, man. Well, listen, I wish we, uh, we could sit here and talk about Eddie Guerrero forever. Uh, I don't know that there's a long enough show or enough time in the day to really pay tribute to him. Any last parting words you want to share with us about your friend, Eddie Guerrero today? I think that Eddie Guerrero was one of the single greatest performers this business has ever, ever had the pleasure of being able to watch. And for me, from a personal level to be instrumental in his career and to be his friend probably more than anything um the the going from chavo to eddie and everybody in between the brothers guerrero um just proud proud of that association and uh i loved him so much and you know, Chavito today uh, carries on and does his thing. And I love it. And we do too. Uh, we hope you guys have enjoyed our Eddie Guerrero tribute. I hope you'll go watch some Eddie Guerrero stuff today to celebrate his honor. We'll be back next week with you with Survivor Series 1995. Lots of elimination matches there, but on top, it's Bret Hart and Diesel. If you've got a question for us, ask it over at Pritchard Show on Twitter. Don't forget to check out our brand new Jim Hurd interview over at adfreeshows.com. And if you've got a question for Bruce, he is uh, at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad, and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here for Survivor Series 95 on Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Rock on and hug the ones you love. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you. By the way, the best way to introduce something to wrestle to the wrestling fan in your life is to send them to our YouTube channel It's youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle. Do us a favor. Go hit that subscribe button right now. You're going to sneak peek of upcoming episodes. Lots of fun clips to show your friends. 
And maybe best of all, we have a ton of new giveaways headed your way over at youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle. Plus we've got a ton of new gimmicks up at boxofgimmicks.com. For instance, we've got a lot of Dave Silva's cover arts on posters. There's lots of different ways to support the show and be a part of the ad-free show community. Check them out right now at boxofgimmicks.com. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button over at youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle. The most hated jeweler in America is excited to introduce you to someone very special. She's beautiful, classy, and she's brilliant. She will dazzle you. People can't stop staring at her. Meet Krista. She's easy. Wait, what? Krista is Steven Singer's most loved engagement ring and takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, 100% eye flawless, near colorless, high quality, round, brilliant cut diamond, expertly set into a classic solitaire Tiffany setting that will withstand the test of time. Krista is available. She's ready for love and ready to meet you. Steven Singer isn't in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. This magnificent full one carat round, brilliant cut diamond is only $31.98. Real jewelry doesn't have to be expensive. Plus free shipping and 12 months interest-free financing. Steven's showroom is open by appointment only or go now to IHateStevenSinger.com and click on the Krista ready for love engagement ring. Steven Singer Jewelers, real jewelry, real experts for your real love. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Hey, real quick, before we get out of here, I want to remind you that we're making the impossible possible over at SaveWithConrad.com. But don't take my word for it. Ask my man, Brian from Louisville, Kentucky. He saved a boatload of cash with SaveWithConrad.com, left us a five-star review, and he had this to say, Conrad's team was able to get me an excellent rate on my mortgage. A competing company said it was impossible to get us this rate. Guess they were wrong. Thanks again for helping me save a lot of money. What are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. We're licensed in more than 40 states. It's no cost, no obligation. And if we can't save you some cash, we won't waste your time. But maybe best of all, you don't need perfect credit to do this. But if you hurry right now, you're going to get the cash infusion you need just in time for the holidays. You get to skip your single biggest bill, your house payment for two months, and we can even help you knock out your credit card debt. But most importantly, cut years off of your loan. Well, it sounds too good to be true, but we can do it for you right now at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com before it's too late. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.